Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast, taping this on a Thursday morning. You should be getting this on a Tuesday. I am joined on the line by the doyen of online scheme discourse, at least in my opinion. It is Coach Fass, Chris Fasser. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. I, I'm not sure what, what doyen what was. I'm learning something new today. I believe that's like a... Um, you know, like almost like a sensei, but across barriers. So you would like sit atop a perch of scheme talk, and then you would disseminate to us all these little scheme morsels. And then the rest of the schematic writing and talking world would run with it, Vass. I think that's what I'm describing. All right, all right cool. Well, I, I thought it may have been an idiot. So uh, I'm <laughs> glad it was something positive. So I do this thing every year with um, Brandon Thorne, which we call the offensive line state of the union. We just, we go, it's like... Um, coach and coffee right like comedians and cars getting coffee but we're discussing offensive line play and we just sit and we babble big mm-hmm. picture niche stuff on offensive line play um, and i thought well what would be just as fun to do would be to do that on the defensive side of the ball we can get big picture we can get granular on some defensive stuff and the best person to talk to is the host of the make defense great again podcast which is the all-time podcast title for anything that's ever been created um <laughs> So <laughs> I can't take credit for that. That was Kyle, Kyle Kogan. Uh, my friend started saying it. And then we, it was one of those, we, we kind of all said at the same time, but it gets attributed to Kyle. I think he may have been the first one to say it. And then when I was thinking about a pod title name, I was like, Hey man, can, could you mind if I use this? Not thinking I would ever have any merchandise or anything. I was a high school coach, right? You know, at the time. And I just thought, well, I'll do this fun podcast. And now I have like people buy mugs and hats and shirts. So it's just, it's really weird. I also want to say for the record that that name of satire, I've had some people get really mad thinking wow. that I was, I was being serious. So I, I, there was a guy in Missouri that uh, was like, I can't listen because of the title. And I like <laughs> called him. I'm like, dude, this, like, it's, it's a joke. Yeah. You're so, taking football too seriously. Yeah. Um. So Let's just quickly do, we'll quickly do your background just for, for the listeners here. Um, you're a coach. You're now what one will call what a schematic advisor to people. That's, Would that be fair? That's a lot nicer than what I usually say. People say, well, what do you do? I'm like, I don't really, I still don't really know. No, so basically I was, I, I was in college. I begged my way onto a job at the University of Miami when they were still the U. Now they're like the upside down, sad face version of the U. Um, I got a graduate assistant job at San Jose State, realized I needed to get on the field before I started making this my life missions, my life's mission rather, fell in love with it, worked at a couple of high schools, did some semi-pro ball, which was actually probably the most formidable experience that I ever had in coaching. Um, and the word semi-pro is used very loosely. These guys are basically paying to play. There was nothing professional about it. Um, and then I went and did some junior college. I went back into college at a small division three school and I was going to work my way back up the ladder. And I realized I really don't like this. I really don't like college football coaching. I love college football, but it just wasn't for me. And I was living, you know, I, I just lived in the Bay area in San Francisco Bay area. And um, I just, I, I moved to Mississippi and I was living in a dorm and I was like, you know what? I want to go back. So I went back. Everybody's like, don't do it. It's career suicide. But, you know, I think that the biggest thing in life people need to, when making decisions like this, keep in mind is, you know, know your strength, know your weaknesses and stay in your lane. A lot of people, I mean, it's, it's one thing to get out of your comfort zone, but once you get out of that comfort zone and you're like, this is not for me, 
you know, it, it, there's no shame in being like, Hey, this is for me. I liked high school better. I liked, I felt like I had more of an effect on the kids' lives at the high school level. When I was coaching in college, I had a guy who was like 22 and was engaged and he's not like coming to me. Not that I think I'm some, you know, father figure. I was still relatively young when I was coaching these kids, but there's something about that adolescent period when you're, you're able to shape the, the, the players' lives and be more, more a part of their lives down in a, in a foundational level. Where in college, it was like, I'm just a coach and I missed that sort of connection. And I, and I also hated like the frat boy jerk uh, vibe of some of the colleges. And I was just like, you know, this is not for me. I lived in this really kick-ass area. I'm going back. And I thought about getting back into college, but I had such a good experience in high school and I enjoyed the freedom. You know, I enjoyed the, the really what it came down to was freedom and I could sleep for seven hours every night. And so I did high school football um, for years. And then a couple of years ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I wrote down a bunch of things because I figured I'd have to come back. You know, at the time I was still living in California, I needed to come back to Florida to take care of her. So I wrote down a bunch of things that I could do just to make it and take care of her. And then she ended up passing away pretty quickly, passed away on Christmas morning, no less. And I had this house and was an only child. My mom wasn't really close with her siblings. And it was my childhood home where I'm actually sitting. I'm sitting in the exact place that I grew up watching TV, you know? So it was important to me to come save the home. And so that list that I had written down was basically like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then I'll go teach and be a substitute teacher and I'll figure it out from here. And I just, I need to get home. Well, I announced on March 5th, 2020 then i'm starting this business and then nine days later the world shuts down because of uh your friend and mine the coronavirus <laughs> so that's basically what happened is i moved back here and then the business exploded beyond my wildest dreams and i've been able to help coaches through all really throughout the world i've got to have some really cool experiences um, I, I did a, a clinic for some Brazilian coaches and all female Brazilian league, some of their coaches and like the team was on the call and listening and were asking me questions. This is the only time it's ever happened where I actually had the players yeah. on being like, how can I help? How can I do this? How can I do that? And I was like coaching them directly. It was so much Amazing. fun. And I've, you know, talked to coaches all over the world. One of the did cool things. Did you speak to the, um, the, the Finnish guys? Have you seen the Finnish league? I, I have, I, I don't know if I've spoke to them directly. I've talked to some of them uh, via text or, or via DMs rather, but I've, I've clinicked some of the Norway guys, Norwegian guys, German guys. There are balls. Uh, there are ball in the Norwegian Finnish leagues. Uh, that, that league goes hard in the paint. <laughs> I don't think they have the quality of refereeing that you would necessarily yeah. see in other places. Those guys go hard. Have you seen that that Calcio murder ball? I know we're getting off topic already, but like that 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 game in Italy where it's like soccer oh, with a, with a football. It looks like a football, maybe a rugby ball. Yeah, it's almost and, like what the first like, what first football was supposed to football as in. Yeah, they're like fist fighting in the sides, and there's the referee had a hat. Uh, I showed it to one of my colleagues. He's like the nicest guy on the planet. Uh, he was a teacher. We we were teaching at online school, and the guy had a hat under 
um, his arm, and it, but it looked like he was holding a chicken. And so I, I had a, uh, I had been drinking coffee, and I literally spit the coffee everywhere. And I don't know if I've ever laughed that hard because there's this guy standing what looks like a chicken under his arm, and these guys are squared up, like beating the crap out of each other with no pads on. I'm like, how do you coach that? Yeah, well, what is the schematic tendencies oh, in the, yeah. in the so, I, league? Yeah, I got to check out this Finnish league. It sounds close to it. Man, they go rough in the Finnish league. I don't even think false starts are a thing in the Finnish league. They no. just get after it, man. Wiping um, the ball and so, yeah, so now it's interesting for you now because you, so you do all this consulting work. You help coaches, as you said, from Brazil to Orlando to everywhere. Mm-hmm. But now you're actually able to watch other football, right? Because when you go yeah, to high school, was, that's something I people don't get, particularly football. West Coast, is you're, you're watching so much, you don't physically either have the time or the want to watch more football, particularly if you had one of those situations where you had the short week, short week, right? So you would turn around so fast that you don't want to sit on a Sunday afternoon and watch the entire NFL or or do yeah, the Pac-12 no, after dark. Fine. It just doesn't, just doesn't happen, right? Well, and once the season's over, it's one of these deals where, you know, you've just spent 80 hours a week just on football let alone my other job and you know the last thing you want to do is come home and watch more football i was uh, doing a youtube thing the other night and i was like it's like being a lawyer all day and then coming home and watching matlock you don't like it's you just don't want to do that it's the last thing you want to think about and football became if it was on it became a background it was like background noise and i would kind of watch but i'm not really paying attention especially on sunday sundays was our heaviest work day so i never watched nfl games i mean i did fantasy football and i kind of knew what was going on but you know, people ask me about player profiles and now and i remember not too long ago i don't remember who it was i was like oh, i wonder where this guy still you know where's this guy's playing he'd been retired for five years and he had like a 12-year career that's how that's how like far off I was. I'm like, oh, I think it's like what his fifth or sixth year in the league, and he'd been retired for <laughs> He's five putting years. his gold jacket on. Yeah, and he retired old, like it would by old standards in the <laughs> league. I'm like, Jesus. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been fun. It's it's fun and kind of maddening because I like pro football, but I have a lot of gripes with it, especially on defense. And we can get into that. But yeah, it's it's been um it's been it's been fun to kind of not even really be a fan again, but just enjoy it. It's it's like what I do. I, I tell people it's like being a grandparent. You get to have all the fun, but then you're like, all right, I'm gonna go piss off now and do something else. <laughs> and you have to deal with this. Like you come up with the ideas, you get to have the fun parts, and then you're just like, I'm gonna go do something that's not football, and that's okay. But so it has to be crazy for you checking back on the NFL because if you're still playing, paying close attention to the college game, particularly over these last five years, where we went from like the Chip Kelly stuff and that, which ran the sport for what six, seven years, that's just gone. It's like that, that we don't do that no more. The open two by two spread option, enough, right? We got to get way more diverse, way more creative. Everyone folds in a bit of everything into one pie, and that's how we're going now. So this Chip Kelly doesn't even do the Chip Kelly. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, Chip Kelly was like, "Yeah, believe that. That's done. I'm getting some big bodies on the field finally." Um, right. So there's like exponential growth in the college game. So when you put the NFL on now, and you're like, "They're still doing this stuff," and maybe they sprinkle in um, one package that they've watched from a Saturday, or they had one call with you know a college guy, or they brought someone from a creative staff up to the league because the guy wanted out the, the recruiting game. Is it weird for you to see how minimal since you stopped watching how little things have changed? I, I guess the big change is 
uh, split coverage versus single high because of the all the Seattle stuff has kind of started to fade away. Um, but what has it been like for you to come in almost cold back to the league? But I, uh, but I almost missed all that stuff. Like I, I told this story multiple times, but I remember back in 18 that Chiefs played the Rams in some crazy-ass Monday or Thursday night game. And I was living with a coach who had pro football on a lot on Sundays. And I remember watching McVay's offense and I was laughing. And I'm like, this is because I heard about this guy and I knew who he was. And I knew more about his background than what he did because, you know, I pay attention to coaches. And I remember watching his offense like, this is what's taking over the NFL. Are you shitting me? I, I thought it was a joke. And I don't mean that to be like, Listen, I'm an ex high school football coach that worked in a few colleges over a four year period. I'm no meatless. I, I don't know. I'm no Bill Belichick. I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody else. And maybe for your listeners, I've never heard me before. And maybe like, who the hell is this guy that he's saying he doesn't get what the deal with Sean McVay is? Nobody can stop him, or very few people can stop him. But like, and then I start, but, but it, I, it's true. And, and that part of it where, because the offense or because the defenses were so archaic, he was doing stuff that, like just he was running wing T waggle, basically a play that's been around since the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And because the defenses were so terrible, they're just completing these over routes, 18 yard over routes. And I remember I looked at the head coach, I'm like, they should just play quarters. And I went in my room and then I watched the Super Bowl, and that's what the Patriots did. And held him to three points. We watched a bunch of that last week. I started a new YouTube show, Shameless Blood, called Tuesday Night Football. And I broke down the, the Browns running the 6-1 versus the Vikings, a very popular scheme versus, and we could talk about that later, but a very popular scheme versus that McVay quote-unquote offense. And actually, there were a lot more, or a lot less clips than I thought because I'd watched some of the game. And for some reason, in my brain, I'm like, oh, the Browns did this all game. There was like eight clips. Yeah. So I'm like, well, shit, I've already advertised that I'm going to do this. So, <laughs> so what I did is I went back to those 2018 games and I watched Belichick and then Fangio had done it. when and He, he did it in like week 11, right? And mauled yep. him. And then Belichick was like, let's just do that. Yeah. And I remember thinking that, and I, I well, I, I had thought about the conversation I had with the head coach where I'm just like some average high, at that point, our team was very average. We'd been very good. Uh, I was coaching at Tom Brady's high school, Tom Brady and Barry Bonds, two of the best players wow. of their respective sports from the same high school, Unipero Sarah High School in uh, San Mateo, California. And we had a good run, but that year we were getting our butt kicked a little bit. So I, who am I this, at this, you know, at that point? But I just remember looking at like two plays and like, this should just run quarters and walking out of the room. And then Bill Belichick did it and Fangio did it. And they were like, Harold is a genius is. And me and all my buddies were like, what? Because we was like, and that's the crazy thing. It wasn't new. Like Jimmy Johnson came in and was running that stuff in the early 90s when he was at the Cowboys. Same and everybody... one, gap, one gap size down, which when Kirby did that at Georgia, it was again like, oh, wow, he caught it with the evolution of the game. He sized everyone down. It's like, well, that's what Jimmy did the 90s. They ran through the sport for five years. Right. Well, and then everybody got good at attacking it. So they went, you know, then Tampa two came along and then that went out very fast. And then Seattle, the problem is people try to copy these defenses with all these hall of famers on them. And then, and I, I jokingly call it the Michael Keaton um, multiplicity effect. So you get, you know, you get Pete Carroll's first assistant. It's good. Then you get Pete Carroll's second assistant and it's, <laughs> it's okay. 
and then you get like Pete Carroll's assistants, assistants, assistant, and you have dog shit players. Sorry, can I can I say that? Yeah, yeah, no, please. That's this is what all it's right. all about. Um, and then you wonder, oh wow, why doesn't this defense work? And you just kind of look around, like what? And look at the every great defense that's been around the '85 Bears. The Bear defense, objectively, I will say this is good. That structure is good versus certain things. Objectively, good. But unless you have all those pieces, you you know, and Buddy could have, there there's games where Buddy Ryan could have probably played with ten guys and yeah. gotten away with it. And then it was funny because you'd watch Buddy go to other teams, the same guy. Yeah, guys ass kicked. And it, it wasn't as good because he didn't. Now, don't get me wrong, he had some great defenses, but he didn't have those players, and people started catching up to it. And so that's what happened now is, I mean, the six one quarters is you're taking Jimmy Johnson's 30 year old coverage package and mixing it up with the six one defense, which has been around since I, probably as long as my father's been alive. My father's almost in the seventies and it's like, Oh my God. And then you just laugh. Cause it's just like, and not to take anything away from what they did, but it's the, the, the praise for the ingenuity yeah. And how I, cutting I, edge it is. I'm like, no, it's not cutting. I mean, it's smart what he did, but it's old and, and it's not it's not new, you know. And, yeah. and so I think part I mean, of this, uh, we'll get back into some of these guys in a bit. Uh, we'll go specifically into some guys. The innovation thing, I know that's a big gripe for you, which I fully understand. That's on the outside, right? It's someone like me writing someone calling someone a genius. Now, I like to pride myself in my writing, as I told you before. I always like to give the history of the concept. It's why my pieces run to 4,000 words because I feel it's necessary to credit everyone along the way who, who did iterated on it a little bit or where someone was able to pull it back from. And when you listen to Belichick, Belichick is best in his press conferences when you ask him where he found something and he will explain to you how his dad told him about something Navy did, right? And he goes on that whole yarn. I think it's an outside perception because when you talk to guys in the game, and that's where you're talking about coaches before, I've never spoken to one. I mean, there are some guys who get high on their own supply, particularly when they make the league, if they've been in smaller places. like yeah. some, Because outside the world, the perception is, well, the NFL is the, the top of the game, so they must be <laughs> no. the smartest guys. Whereas no. even the, be- the people in the industry, high school and up, even the guys in the league, are fully well aware that's not actually the case. That they're, they're lucky, connections, whatever. Um, or just so happens that, like you said, but you preferred high school. Some guys prefer the college games. Some guys prefer the league. Um I never speak to someone in the sport who like considers themselves a genius. I mean, yes, there's a Bill Walsh once in a while who considered himself one and just was right. Those guys come around as Belichick, but you don't talk to guys who are like, go and write a piece about how I'm iterating on all this cool stuff and how amazing I am and and how I'm running a six, one box. And no one's run that ever before. You never really hear that from inside the sport. No. Well, and you don't want to do that because even if you believe that you don't want people copying your stuff and you don't, I was joking around with somebody recently that what you want to do on defense is you don't want to be dominant. You want to be really good, but you want to kind of fly into the radar. And I tell the story of a lot of the, this it's called the tight front now, but the, the stuff with the zero and the two, four eyes, the stuff that Dave Aranda really popularized in colleges and the pros. And, and this just shows you how smart I am. The first time I ever saw it, I said, I'll never effing do that. That is effing stupid. <laughs> Later that year, we get in the biggest game of my life. And I was like, I realized that's what we needed to do. And I called the same guy that I had told that to. I was like, hey, remember the thing I said was really stupid? Can, can you can you teach it to me? And we did it. <laughs> and we were, were very successful. And so that offseason, I was like, okay, I'm all in. And I went to all these places and learned all this stuff. And then 
we get around to the season and people already had the beaters for the stuff because it the information just travels so much faster now. I'm like, shit, I thought I was at least get one, two, three years out of this. And it was like I was already behind the curve, you know, and and but you you talk to these guys and you 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 don't want to be the leader because then everybody's gonna want to study your stuff. And that's where the RPO offense, and really that's where the disappearance of quarters coverage was because of the RPOs. Where did the RPO offense come from? It came from teams getting really, really good at quarters. And instead of just being able to beat quarters in quote unquote traditional ways, they said, well, let's screw with them. And young offensive coordinators, and that's how they problem solve. You know, guys that are my age, I'm, I'm 37, a little older, they grew up beating cover three the guys that are in their mid-20s now they're 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 used to beating quarters now the guys that are starting out right now right now right now they're going to be used to beating man because and that's how you problem solve but that's what happened is the the defenses got too good and we're choking the offenses out at the lower levels and they're like we you know it goes back to the old option adage if you can't block them read them which is exactly what happened you look at TCU, they were running the schematic world on defense. They had these big-ass strong safety overhangs. They call them strong safety. They were nickels mm-hmm. that were built like big safeties that were super fast. And then you're playing the Chip Kelly offense, you know, where you've got a little speedy guy, which is fantastic, but not when you want to block him and dig him out and run the ball. So how do you get the guy out of there? You have to – you make it where he has to cover somebody. You know, and that's what it. that's where it all came from. And so – and now everybody's back to back to one high. And the problem in the NFL, here's the biggest problem in the NFL that you get. It's not even so much the lack of innovation. It's the time the coaches have with the players. They don't have any time compared to even college. Let's just say for argument's sake, in college and pros at the same time, which they don't. Colleges have way more. High school has even more time. And you're saying this as in because after the season's over, they vanish the building, they go to their own. No, I'm talking about in season. You're talking about in season because of the legislation, how they've done the CBA, that they just can't do stuff. Well, and there's part of that too about the off season, but even just it's it's the in season time, and it's the transient nature of the NFL in terms of switching teams. Yep. So if you're say your Pats are ten, you're at Alabama, you played for three years, and you were starters a freshman. He played for three years. That is the fastest rise you can make in that program. As you come in, I think he came in early. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. That doesn't matter. Let's say he did. Let's say he came in, you know, graduated in the spring or graduated in the winter, rather, came in in January. Or for argument's sake, let's say that he came in that summer. Let's even give him less time. He didn't even get spring practice. He still got three years. And everybody at minimum is getting three years. Because a program like Bama is not getting grad transfers to play on defense and playing a lot, usually. So everybody on that team has a minimum of three years in the program, and they have more time. You know, I did a thing on the Bears last night or or two nights ago, and I had two writers that cover the Bears, and I was like, all right, who's that, who's that, who's that? Because I'd watched the 17 and 18 team a lot, but I hadn't really watched them last year. And – or in 19, and they had turned over half of their starters. And so the, it was, or more, I think it was actually on the field at one time, it was more than that. So 
and you get now you factor in the time, the, the less amount of time in the offseason, less camp, less physical time on the field. Now they meet more in the NFL in season, but it's you don't have time to go out there and do a lot of the stuff. So most college teams have match three in their in their packets. Let's just say match every three. Yep. And I ask all my friends in the pros, why doesn't anybody do it? And it's because it takes a long time to put in or to get good at. And since you only have a limited time, a limited amount of time, you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket. Even Seattle that plays, and I don't know, maybe their numbers are different now, but you know, even Seattle that played as much cover three as they did, they didn't do it. Now I think that was more philosoph- uh, philosophical thing. Than uh, yeah, it was. they they did early on because they would rotate late, and then they decided everyone knows what we're running anyway. Fuck it, let's just stand down in the rotation. Why are we even bothering doing all this? No, but I mean the match aspect. Yeah, the pattern for... reading stuff. Yeah, you know, like we don't even need to bother with jack shit. Yeah, but that doesn't even make that that that's what I, that's where I get confused. It's like, well, they're dealing with like seven Hall of Famers. I think they were like could run anything yeah but when you think that you'd want to put those guys in an even better spot i mean that you know that's what we started off with but like you know you're paying bobby wagner nine million dollars a year because he can run this technique that's really hard i mean yeah there's more to it than that but i'm being you know overly simplistic but also kind of true and it's like well why don't you do something else that where he doesn't have to do this with very simple adjustments that a high school can do and that's what boggles my mind is, and it comes down to time. And, and guys, are you're signing guys off the street. You don't have a lot of time. You know, in college, you're not, you know, if you're in the, and, I, and, and I'm going to speak to this in general terms because I'm, this is not my area of expertise, but pro practices, if you're on, if you're a practice squad guy, you're spending your time on the field most of the time with the other, with the offense, if you're on defense and vice versa, because you got to get them ready. Yeah, you're mimicking you're not a even really style now, than you're on team. Maybe in individual periods, you're you're with your guys, so you're not even getting. So now all of a sudden, you got to sign a guy at the practice squad to play, and these guys are quote unquote on the team, but they're not they're not even getting the same reps. Whereas, you know, Bama pulls a junior starter in; he's been there for three years. Now, I said that I know Henry Toa from Tennessee transferred and went plugged right in the defense, but they ran basically the same damn defense. Yeah, at Pruitt was running. Exactly, I mean, right. I'd say I know both defenses very, very well. I'd say it's about 90% carryover. And most of it's terminology. It's not even terminology. It's most of the same concepts. In fact, I can't even think of one off the top of my head. That's like, Oh, this one, they do a lot more or it's completely different. And I'm, I was friends with all those guys. I've been to both places, spent a lot of time at both places. And so the linebackers coach is one of my good friends. I talk to him all the time. So, you know, the, the Sherman, the Sherman example him. against, uh, against the Pats, right. was when he came in three days off the street or whatever. And you see, and he's playing that bail technique on the half turn. You can kind of see Todd balls looking around. Like we do not run things that way, but I guess we just let Rick. I'm sorry. I missed that. This was um, the Sunday night football game where Sherman signed for the books and he played in three oh. days and he was podcasting for two years or a year and a half prior to yeah. signing and playing, you know, you got a 53 man roster. You're only dressing when they dress 46 at Bama, it's like, oh, yeah, two of our three of our starters go down. I guess we we ripped the 11th guy off the depth chart who's been in this for two years. He has a PhD in all the, the crazy seven stuff that they run, which is like if you asked someone to install all, I don't know if they still run all the stuff that was the, the classic stuff that ever leaked, if it's even real, the LSU playbooks and that. 
But I mean, that that you you could spend a lifetime studying just the seven stuff and all the checks and the shit they run. I mean, they're running more checks than even the guys at the pros do, which is what what makes the pros. Not different. even close. Yeah, it's not even close. The the college defenses are so much more involved, and you can tell when the guys take the stuff in college, they have to throw a bunch of it out. Like I would love to know because I know that Brandon Staley. When I think they played the Seahawks or the Eagles last year, they ran a bunch of saving stuff, and I was told that they used the same terms and everything. I would have loved to see the final install and what they had to take out. And 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 I know in saving stuff is overkill. I mean, it's obviously very successful, but it's also some of it's over. I, I think it's overkill. And the guys that have moved on from there that don't have him mfing you, if you suggest that we should take something out. That's why Georgia's having so much success. I've never seen a defense that throws out more shit than they do. Yeah, I mean they have those. They'll, famous, they'll, they'll uh, run a they'll run they'll run a call like it'll be their lead call, and then I'll go back the next year, and my buddy Glenn Schumann will be like, "Yeah, we took that out." I'm like, "What the hell?" Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's just crazy. Pro- I'm sure you've seen the famous Kirby coaching clinic, the 2018 one, where he details this. And I think the linebackers coach stands up for half an hour afterwards, and you always see the fear in his eyes that he doesn't want to say anything bad about Saban among his coaches. But he says it pretty explicitly. I don't know why we were running half this stuff. I don't know why we called it in a way that was really long. So we just said, "Fuck it, we're running our own program now." Let's make it one word calls all around. We've got really good players, man. Let's just keep whipping them until they figure out how to try and adjust. Well, um, they, 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 I, I know that one very well. Actually, uh, Glenn had asked me to watch uh, that after he put it together for some feedback because they did a two-year thing where they did he did he did it in, in one clinic and then because they have a contract with Nike and then he wanted to do it the next year. So and Glenn put that together mm-hmm. and. Um, they did a lot of that at Alabama. I know that they said that they waited, but that was all a lot of the one word stuff was already being done. And it was all because of what Auburn did. Bama's longest calls were their stuff that they did versus a tight end and two receivers, and two banks. And usually teams that run that stuff, they're not no huddle teams, so they could get away with it. So at Auburn, when they did all their sugar huddle stuff, or so they got speed break, where they kind of all mill around and then run out. They did it all out of all those sets. So they made Bama use all their really long calls. And that's where they were getting it. The problem was not even the length of the calls, but they had different rules and different packages. Yeah. With the same people on the field. So if it was a three down call, they would play field and boundary. And then if it was a four down call, they'd align to the passing string. So they didn't even know where to line up until they got the call, which is just completely insane. Yeah. But they they had a revolution and and I'll give Saban credit, man. He there's some stuff, and I know that who am I to, to criticize the the greatest coach to ever live, in my opinion, in my opinion, but like, you know, and there's some things that I'm like, you know, you don't have to be a complete asshole to everybody all the time to, to win, but maybe you do. I don't know who he who who am I? But I'll give him credit because he tried to kick and scream on that spread rev- revolution and like try to get the rules changed. <laughs> that is this what we want? And everybody said, Yeah, and he went. Fuck it. Then yeah. I guess that's what Watch we're this. Do. And then he's done, they've done it better than anybody yeah. in my estimation. And I think pretty much, I mean, if you look at all the numbers and the metrics, all the measuring sticks used, they've been pretty good at it. So what was interesting about that rules, join them. What was interesting about that one word call stuff is them describing how they still teach it in the most mm-hmm. complex way possible. 
You have so to. So when the kid hears the one world in his head, he's hearing the seven words because that's how he's been taught it in the classroom and that's how they discuss it in the week. It just when you step on the field, that one word, you're saying one word so we can move quicker, but in your head, your actual brain is hearing the, the five other things that should trail after it. Right. And the reason for that is if you if you're explicit about it, there's less memorization. Mm-hmm. And so you're able to do more stuff. If I if I we we ran a more extreme version of this defense, the TCU system, where we literally tell you what to do. Like every it's like a sentence. It's like a five, six, seven. Like, a West, like an old West Coast offense style yes. that people be familiar with. You're telling everyone yes. the position where they're being the motion protection, everything. Yes. Now the first thing everybody tells me is, well, that's too long. And you, how do you get all that? Well, first of all, you're splitting who you're telling. So the coverage doesn't need to know the front and the front doesn't need to know the coverage. So what you do is you tell the front six, the four down and the backers, two backers, this is what you're doing with one guy, the back five get told something else. And then the safeties tell the backers what the coverage is. And then there's one guy calling it. So when I called the defense, I would tell my line coach, my backers coach, whatever I'd say, you know, smokes five and he would signal in smokes five or whatever. And they would look at their watch wristbands, whatever you want to call it. And they would read it and it would spell something out. Now, what people would say is, well, what happens when an offense goes fast? Well, if it's a call that you use a lot, you, that's when you code word it. Like You don't code word everything. But like Alabama's number one call for many years was base strong three out of check dot mod. Now, most people go, oh, my God, that's a lot of words. But it is. But you don't have to remember a lot of st- stuff. Base is the front. Strong means the strong guy's rushing. Three is cover three. We're rotating strong and we're coming from this passing strength. Auto means if there's two receivers in the boundary, we're going to check to a weak rush and rotate the other way. And then check dot and mod men. If they came out two tight ends and under center, we would check to this call. And it spells it out. Mm-hmm. And then you install it like that. Base strong three auto check dot and mod. Base strong three auto check dot mod. And then week two, it becomes bass. And now I can think of that space strong three out of check out mod. I'm not having to memorize because if you just come out and you say it's bass, now you got to memorize all this crap instead of it spelled out for you. So in my, in my head, that's the smartest way to do it because the one thing that you want to do is if you one word, everything, not only do you have to memorize it, I'm talking about off the bat. Yep. You have to memorize it. You lose the flexibility. So most of the time you want that whole call, but this week, let's say we don't want check dot mod. We can just say based on three auto and we could just say now based on three auto and the kids know, okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're just not going to do the last part. And then you have to remember that because you didn't say it. So don't do it. That's the other thing is they're, Hey, you know, cause sometimes the kids, you get halfway through a call and they'd be like, we got it and turn around. I'm like, no, you have to see the whole call twice because if I take something off, don't don't do that and it's just less memorization and so there is a a a rhyme and a reason for why the things are done and i know that could be some of your listeners maybe i hope you're not falling asleep by this explanation but it's really important to to understand that and here's the other thing the longer calls the ones that are you know they're now simply said that the longest they're usually happening on third down third long so the team's not going to go fast. A team that just got sacked and then ran the ball for three yards ain't going to run up to the line on third and nine, third and 12. They're not. They're going to slow it down because they just got their ass kicked. They want to at least give their defense a rest. 
So now you bust out the long calls. Now the kids have time. Now you don't even need to code word it. And so, you know, for a team like Bama, where they get the cream of the crop, the best of the best, they target the kids they, they want and they basically get them, most, most of them. You know, that's fine. You could say, learn this, so I'm going to replace you with somebody else who's going to be an NFL player. If you're at another place, you don't have that luxury. So, you know, because I've talked to some of those Bama guys, I'm like, how did, how, did you, how did you teach all that? And, like, they just figured it out. And basically implied that, like, they figured it out or we replaced their ass. Yes. Well, if you don't have that luxury, you got you to gotta give you guys tools to figure it out. And so a lot of that stuff has gone that way, but you, you want to retain that structure. And I know guys that, want, that swear by one wording stuff and, and, they, and, they, and they, they're successful, but they also have a much smaller package. And what happens isn't so much because a lot of people think in football, oh, we have to have all this stuff because we want to do all this stuff. It's not even about that. It's about customizing what you're going to do for that opponent. Most teams have a board and they say, okay, what can we do this week based on the stuff we already have installed to stop this team? Where now you're able to say, let's come up with something from scratch or start off with more flexibility and really drill down with what a team does because we have this language structure where if you're in a one word world, you can't do that. You can't because now the guys have to remember a bunch of shit from scratch. And it's really hard. That's really, really hard. It's so interesting. There's pluses and minuses to everything, but that's my pitch for keeping it how they have it. It's interesting how that ties to the the Belichick, Dom Brown, Kirby, I believe, does this too, where they teach positions almost as the spot on the field so they can give themselves variety throughout the season without having to necessarily go back and reinstall or add in. Here's another 18 word check. It's like if you're lining up as the three whether you're a safety we've put down there whether we slide the nose over from a chair whatever this is the job in this package depending on where you line up so we really have 50 different calls but we can just kind of call it one thing and wherever you happen to be on the field and so this week we'll do this one thing and so we'll lay the traps and next week we'll do the next thing and it's just as simple as this week that backer goes and next week that back is gonna go um, mm -hmm. so what they've done is taking such expansive stuff and they figured out the same way they did on offense at Bama is how to condense it to make it easier to learn, I think. So it's still just as complex to watch and fucking impossible to break down and figure out, I'm guessing, when you're trying to attack it because they still have all the expansiveness they could ever want, but they've made it easy for their guys to understand and fly to the ball. It's the offensive philosophy of we're going to run a few plays out of a lot of formations. Mm -hmm. So what they do is, and it's not so much Kirby, this is more of a Belichick, this is an NFL thing. This is very much a pro. And Don Brown's a great example of a college guy. So without giving up code words, well, I, I've used some of the old Patriots terminology. I have a shameless plug coming in. I did a 5 uh package video on the Patriots. And they have four words to discuss or, or to describe two-man stunts. And then they have three words to describe three-man stunts. Because there's only so many. So you see this a lot in, in pressure in pressures there's only so many patterns you can run there's it's not infinite there's there it, i mean there you could do whatever you want but you're not going to screw with the other line there's only so many patterns that really attack an offensive line because you have a finite number of protectors there's usually five or six and if they're protecting with seven you don't want to blitz right and you can only bring i mean you're not blitzing if you're bringing three or four people you can really bring five or six and then anything beyond that you're killing yourself so you're kind of limited 
So the thought is we're going to teach everybody the past is what you're saying and, and what you're saying. And so I'm going to try to use an example that's less confusing on an audio form without being able to draw because it's confusing sometimes even when you can see it and stop it and rewind it, even for me. Yeah. So one that I like is called, and I may be getting this backwards, but uh, we'll just go with it. It was called Flush. And the Patriots, when they teach, they line it five across. So there's two guys in five techniques, which are, means they're outside shoulder of the offensive tackle, the ends, rushers. You have two, three techniques, meaning a guy on each shoulder of the outside guard. Okay. And you have a guy lined up over the center. You could shade him one way or the other. And then you can add a guy behind that's off the ball, or you can start out too high and rotate. That doesn't matter. You have those five down. And they teach you X's on a chalkboard. So one of the three man twists, because there's really only three patterns that you can, there's only three twists that you can do that make any sense. You could do more, but it just would be dumb. You'd be, it wouldn't, it's not effective. Yeah. It would take too long to develop and then the ball's out. Well, and it would, and even that it would, they pick it up. There's yeah. you're really not stressing anybody out. So one of the famous ones, I won't go through the one that's my favorite just because it's, it's way more confusing, but this one's easy. Just, just quickly, if people want to pull this up, they can just go pull up the vast youtube video if they want to whilst we discuss mm -hmm. this but it's the the playoff run the last super bowl playoff run they 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 stomp through kansas city away in the if you remember that game and then the, the super bowl and then i think they did run against the charges i think they ran a six man front i can't remember but it's that period of time is what we're discussing mm -hmm. that final belgic playoff run if you want to go pull up game pass whilst vast talks that's what we're yeah and well i actually made like i said i made a youtube video where it's i lay it all out and i go through each of the calls hot cold all that mm -hmm. stuff and also the, the Dolphins did it. If you're any Dolphin fans out there, did a ton of it last year. And the Patriots still do it. They just do a different presentation. So one of them was called, I think it's called Flush. And it was the end to one side, knife's inside. The guy outside of the guard rips inside of the guard. And then the guy over the center loops outside for contain. And the thought is you're flushing the quarterback. That's why they call it Flush. So when they install that, they show X's on a board and it's, you know, what piece you are. And then if you really want to, and, and you see in the video that I did, just search uh, coach Vass five hyphen zero package, YouTube, it'll come up. There's two parts. And then you can run one of the two man twists on the other side or just let them go. So when they install that, they say, all right, this is flush left. Right. And then this is flush, right. It's the same thing. It's just mirrored. So you'll know you'll when they install it. Okay, if I'm to the call and I'm the five, I'm this guy. I do this. If I'm the three to this call, I do this. If I'm the zero, I do this. If I'm away from the call, I don't do anything, unless told otherwise. And then they have a million fronts they get into. And why they do this is because they want to feature a certain guy that has a certain skill. So Dante Hightower has been the best pressure guy for the Patriots for a long time. In fact, in camp. Oh, shit, it's been like eight or nine years now. They had a call. It was rush 54-0, which meant we're getting in a rush front, which is out of four down linemen. We're putting high tower over the center, and then we're going to run whatever. And they actually let him call it on the field. So the call, they'll call in like all those, those plays. The call is odd Mac O, meaning odd means we're running three guys, and it's understood that if we're going to do this, we're going to walk up over the guards. And then – Mac means the mic is going that tells the safeties, Hey, he's going. So one of you guys has to take who he usually covers in this coverage. And then the other one plays in the middle. And then, Oh, is the structure. 
And then this, they call it on the field, which you, I would never in a million years would never do that in high school. <laughs> and they'll set stuff up. And so what'll happen is if you want to run flush, you want Hightower to be the guy that's over the center because he's going to be the guy looping around. Or if the guard's really shitty and he, he goes for outside fakes, you want him to be the guy on the outside shoulder of the guard that sets him up and rips inside because you think that you might be able to get the sack off that move. And then you're just having a cleanup guy come around. Obviously, you don't really want to run that with the, if that guy over the center is a, a nose tackle because he's probably the least athletic guy out of the five on the field. There's one where one of the guys over the guard loops around to the other side. So it's like one, they go left, like the left, left, and then the guy on the right goes around back to the left. You want Hightower to definitely be the guy looping. And so you want to present it at different fronts based on, and sometimes it's just, we got to give them different looks. And then sometimes it's like, hey, they, he likes to go to this side. And then sometimes it's like, this guy sucks, so let's attack him. Yeah. Or it's not even he sucks, but it's like he has a hard time passing off stunts. And or, so, or a tendency they find on film based on when right. they show this front. We know they like to do this, but this team likes to do this. Let's just jump to whichever one gives us the best chance. And by the way, Dante is a genius. Just let him figure it out on the field. Right, right. And, 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 and maybe I don't I'm, I'm guessing they have a menu because you could definitely tell there was a plan versus certain teams. Like uh, there was one team and I don't ask me to tell you which one was which, but one of the teams, they ran more of the three man stuff. So that tells me the guards were shitty mm-hmm. passing stuff off. And then one of the games, they ran two-man stuff mirrored to both sides. And I would say without knowing what is happening, well, the, the quarterback liked to escape up inside, so they wanted a presence there ready when he did. And in, in presenting that, and then sometimes you can cross some of that stuff over in a six-man front, and you can do some of the stuff where the, there is some carryover. That package really doesn't, but there's other stuff like – when you're bringing, uh, when you're when you're truly blitzing, when you're running fire zones or whatever, it's the same thing. There's only so many paths, and you just teach a bunch of different paths, or uh, I'm sorry, a few paths, and then out of a bunch of different presentations, and then you can build on it. And it there's carryover. We're not wasting, you know, like the two main paths that are run. Uh, I, I well, it's going to be too much to try to describe, but there's two main I, paths. I got into this um, on the last podcast when describing Phil Snow. Is that there's this new culture now that Phil Snow, again, the genius thing, he's running so much exotic stuff. He's really running the same stuff over and over again. He just puts different guys in those spots. So he's it running looks like a bunch of stuff, yeah, which has been going on for many years. But everyone yeah. is running that stuff. He just puts different guys in the package, like you said, like the offense presenting this different formation. It's like he's getting in 12 personnel on defense. He's sending the two backers. The next time he's sending a dime backer as a third safety and the linebacker. And so it looks like it's different if you just go a projector if you drew on a choke bot it's the exact same pass exact same position essentially right well and when the nfl you're going to set things to different so it's more of a and the nfl is more of a personnel mm-hmm. driven league and a lot of it is and i mentioned briefly semi-pro ball taught me how to exploit matchups because as guys get older it's like their talents become much more pronounced so when you're in high school, your best linebacker, he's usually your best blitzer. He's usually your best pass cover guy. He's your best everything. And there are some circumstances in the pros where that's true. But even I'm just going to use Khalil Mack because I've used a lot of uh, well, watched a lot of him in the last 48 to 72 hours. I know he's getting up there in football relative terms, but even in his prime, he wasn't the best pass dropper. 
<laughs> that you have in your team. I, I mean, if you're talking about your front, your front yeah, yeah. guy, it's like even and he was the best at almost everything else, but he wasn't good at that. And and so you maximize the matchups, or you realize sometimes if teams, you know, you're watching a team. Here, here's an example: you're watching a team, and if the uh, team that they played the week before, two weeks or three weeks or four weeks before, had a really dominant player. They really sell out to stop this guy. They really sell out to stop this guy. Well, obviously you want to get that guy to rush, but you also don't want to run into a brick wall. So you use him as bait. And why they have all their attention on one guy, you bring the other. One of my favorite things that has done in the NFL, which is not super new, but has become, and this is something that I think originated in the NFL more than college, is the loaded fronts. From every, it's it's there's not many universal terms of football, but this is one of them. I would say that's up there is load front. So the Rams are my favorite example. When they had Staley, they would put Aaron Donald to one side and then three D linemen to the other. Which side do you slide to? Mm-hmm. The Browns do this with Garrett and Aaron Donald together, right? What's that? The, the Browns do this. They put Garrett and Clowney together, and you're looking there's at each other. Also, going, what the fuck do we do? That's also a theory, too. But I almost like it when you put your best guy away from all those guys. All on his own? He's by himself, and the other three linemen are to the other side. And you can do it. You could put them together. But, but again, why would you put them together to run those twists? Mm-hmm. Why would you put them separate to try to get the slide to him and then blitz to the side? that? Because if you slide your line, if there are three defensive linemen to one side and you decide you're going to slide your line to Aaron Donald, it's football suicide. Like I was drawing this up with somebody the other day and I was like, I literally don't even know how you do it because they basically pin you. You Where, where do you slide to? How do you slide? You have that many people over on one side. And then if they try to, the guard that's over to Donald, if they try to have him go to Donald, now you just run a simple little game. You have the guy that's over the center, pick the center, the guy that's over the guard, loop around. He's got ass free in the backfield. And I know that most offensive coordinators will, Say, hey, we're cool with having a back on a backer, sure. But what happens when that that guy coming around is 300 pounds, 290? And your back is, you know, Alvin Kamara. Well, that's not great. That's not a winning business model. Then it becomes, well, we'll fight fire with fire. We'll release him and try to get five in the pattern. But now we're playing max coverage. So, and that's the chest. That's the back and forth is. But you basically trap offenses, and, and some of it is so easy, and that's what drives me insane at all levels. I had this conversation with Brian Niedermeyer from uh, the guy I mentioned that I'm friends with that was at Tennessee. He was actually with Tennessee, Bama, and Georgia. He had the, the, uh, the trifecta. Yeah. trifecta. But he was with Georgia, to be fair. He was at Georgia uh, when Pruitt was there, so pre-Kirby Smart, Mark Richter. So there. Mark Richter, yeah. But we were like, it's so simple. All you have to do is like move two guys. You're not really hurting yourself. You're not really delineating or not uh, delineating, wrong word, diminishing anything that you really want to do. You just move a couple guys and you can dictate to the offense what happens. And so many teams don't do it. And it's like literally the easiest stuff ever. And teams just don't do it. And I don't know why. And it drives me insane. Maybe you could tell me why, why are they not being as creative as they could? I don't know. I mean, I. Even some of the teams being creative this season are getting whacked. So I look around, I'm like, well, I love what the Dolphins do. I can't wait to write about the Dolphins this season. Then all of a sudden I see they're getting like... What's going on with them? I haven't watched them much. Uh, 
Two is injured, isn't he? Two is injured. Defensively, I don't know what's happening there. I I don't know. Um, they they run they run the Belichick stuff, and he brought all Belichick's guys in, right? But then he kind of systematically was like pushing them out year after year, like yeah, letting Van Noy go. They signed, they signed him, and then he was back. Yeah. That's what I was going to say before about um when you mentioned the Belichick stuff. This is why. You know, people laugh about this with Belichick, but like the reason he keeps bringing Jamie Collins back and he brought Van Noy back is like they already get this stuff. So when Dante is calling it on the field, he trusts these guys. They cannot get lined up this season, which is really weird. Probably another reason why he brought Jamie Collins back. But like he likes guys who he trusts. That's NFL stuff. If you're going by package and you're going play to play as its own package, then you kind of need guys who can also adjust within that on the fly. They get the whole the whole big picture. The thing that impresses me about Belichick the most, and even I, I would throw what Brandon Staley does in this this column, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm not saying I want to cut this off at the pass. I'm not <laughs> saying that Brandon Staley's the next Bell Belichick. Please don't tweet me. And I've been saying this lately, but I know nuance and uh, nuance and subtlety is in short order on Twitter. And I, I'll say stuff like this, like I can't believe you compared them. I'm like, oh my god. I'm not saying Brandon Staley's text Bill Belichick, but one thing that they do such a good job of is when they game plan, they cast with their basic calls. And I don't mean it could be an exotic look. And I hate using that word to describe football. Like that's, that's, isn't that used to describe a bird, like a parrot, not, not a football <laughs> call, but you know, they, they cast a wide net with only one or two calls. They have such a good job. Like I was laughing. I was telling you this during the pre-interview that somebody said that, Brandon Staler is an amazing play caller. I'm like, did you, and I know he's not calling, technically calling the defense, but they played the Chiefs. He ran the same call 80% of the time in the first half, literally 80% of the time. But he designed this call in a way that really took away what the Chiefs did. And you saw the Bills do it the next week. And and that's where the, the game is now. And, and, and basically it's going to be incumbent upon Reed and the enemy and Kafka and company to, to figure that out and move, you know, make their next move. And, and that's, what's so great about the game. But Belichick is like that too. Like in that Super Bowl against the Rams, they held them to three points and they really called three, three or four calls the whole game. I mean, I would say three or four calls for about 80% of the game. And they just drill down to what you do and they, they keep it simple and they take, it's the whole takeaway what they do best. And I know everybody's been saying that for, since the beginning of football, but I'm telling you, it's not as easy as, as it looks. And those guys make it look easy. This is They're, the thing with Staley the where the comparison is apt. And again, he doesn't have the accomplishments. No one is saying that. No one's suggesting. I mean, Bill Elzick lives in his own stratosphere. Obviously, Nick Saban's there with him too. The fact they work together is just bonkers <laughs> that that was allowed to happen. And they wow. didn't win it all. It's the most confusing thing ever. Um it's the ability to one decide what you're going to do really early on and often weeks in advance uh, about who's coming up on the schedule and what you're going to do to be able to, to flip the structure in a way and i know they they have all that stuff installed already but to decide what it's going to be to fully commit to it to say this is what it is this is what we've decided to do and then to teach it and i know that teaching at the nfl level is is almost like people just don't consider it like that because that we were talking about this before with the um the college the nfl how much time you get and the nfl is like the classic it's a do your job league it's like if you can't do it we'll just cut you i'll go get someone who can do this this is what we're running so figure it out um 
Well, Belichick is willing to change, and he always has used that soup, that two week Super Bowl thing to decide to do something different. He's like, I got two weeks, cool. We we can install something new and fresh in two weeks. Um, I just feel like him and Staley have a great nous and knack for changing week to week, fully investing in it, and getting their guys on a page where they will almost completely alter the structure on a week to week basis. Yeah, it's impressive, and and it's usually stuff that's close to their wheelhouse. It's stuff that's, it's not completely different. Or if it is, it's it's all it's all the 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 bones, the structure are there. You know that coverage, the the Fangio tree calls it one hole. The Belichick tree calls it one cross. Um, what's there's a there's a third name for it, but anywhere where basically you're playing cover one out of the dime, you really need a dime defense in. I don't I don't remember exactly how the Chargers did it, but the Bears ran a little bit against um, the Raiders this past weekend, and they got in a dime because you got to play man on the slots, and then the safety. I don't remember the the two by two rules. It's better versus trips. The two by two rules, it's like the the safety away from the running back comes down because that's where the shallow is going to go to or come from is the side of the back. And then in three by one, the over routes can obviously come from the trips. And it's not a it's not hard to do because you're looking for the over route. If the over route doesn't show, it's probably the next guy. And if that guy doesn't show, then look to your side. There's not a lot to it. But that's been the coverage that's been Again, this is a coverage in what I started to say before the ADHD kicked in and the confusion kicked in was that that's in Vic's playbook. Mm-hmm. It's been something they do. And a lot of this stuff is on, on, a, on a macro level, you know, you kind of know what you'd want to do. Like you could give me any scenario right now. Unless it's a completely new offense that I've never seen before. But I mean, coming from high school. I've seen almost everything uh, unless it's literally a completely new offense. I could tell you what I would do. And I could tell you not only what I would do, but I, what I would do out of different structures, because even though I've never run a three, four defense, like fully invested in proper, I mean, I've run pieces of it for years. I could tell you what people would do out of it. And then, you know, a lot of these teams, especially in college, and I don't know how the pros work as much in, in, in this vein, but like, you know, teams are game planning for their opponents in October. They're game planning for them in February. I mean, they're 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 as soon as recruiting's over, it's spring ball, and then we're figuring out what we're going to do. Especially like a place like that has a lot of consistency. You don't really need to talk about what you're going to do spring very much. You're going to do the same stuff, and that's where you put the base of your defense. And but you're really thinking about those teams, and then you're practicing it. Like most good colleges, the second week of spring. You know, that's why I say never look at college scrimmages or spring games or whatever, because nobody gives a shit. They're not worried about that. You're not you barely practice against your own deep offense. You're worried about, you know, they group them together. So like Bama, when when, you know, LSU was two backs, they would group Rick's offense and LSU's offense together. They would uh, group Ole Miss and Auburn together or they would group Ole Miss and who's the other spread team they used to play together they would put auburn was kind of because that was their rival they would do them by yep. themselves but they're, they're practicing seven april they figured that out um and so a lot of it's just the execution and a lot of it is it's it's teaching it's teaching exceptions to rules we used to tell our guys we would teach you we call them camp rules so here's the rules that we because you got to start somewhere right so you're going to do this 
But um, Gary Patterson from TCU used to say something, and I'd always roll my eyes when I was working at Millsaps College, and they said, I thought it was so corny, but it's true. We teach you the rules so you know which ones to break every week. And what does that mean is, okay, simple trips coverage. You were playing cover four, we're playing quarters, and trips, the backside safety has number three for across the formation. And then if three doesn't come to my side, I look to the one receiver to my side, right? Well, this team that we're playing – they send three, uh, they don't send three at you. One, by the time you recognize that three's not coming at you, one will be gone. You won't be able to help anyway. So this week we want you to help on number two because number two is the best receiver in our conference and we need help on those over routes. So that's what you're going to do this week. That's really what you get into. Not here's this new defense yeah. because what you do when you put in the defense is you install pieces. And so, like, my theory was we always installed the most opposite, diverse concepts first. So we taught how to play. Let's just break it down to a very simple level. We're going to teach an, um, underneath cover guys, except for let's take linebackers out because they got a whole new, it's a whole different world. But guys that are out of the box, we're going to teach you how to play straight man. We're going to teach you how to play a, a, a zone match where we're going to drop to a spot and then pick somebody up. And then we're going to teach you how to drop to a spot and just read the quarterback, which we did very sparingly. And then if you want to like pass guys off, you just go like, all right, you're going to play your man technique. But if he does this, then you do this. So you teach those individual techniques. You break everything down into what you need to teach. And then it's just hodgepodging it together. Yeah. You can just take one concept and mix it with another. And that's where like going back to our original discussion about tagging, creating those words on defense to get that flexibility you tag it like an offense and that's where defense is really gone and gary patterson was really the pioneer in that we're going to call this like an offense so on this play instead of the uh, you know the why like let's just take smash one of the most basic concepts in football good coaches would call smash which is an outside hitch was five yard route turnaround and a 10 yard corner route on the inside if they wanted the guy that's supposed to run the corner because the safety's overplaying it to run a corner post, meaning I'm going to break like I'm going to the corner for two or three steps and then stick my foot in the ground and go to the post. They would call it smash cop, meaning corner post. They wouldn't call it, well, let's call it punch. You could, but why would you make now that X receiver that has to do the same thing in both is like, now I got to remember. Yeah, which one is that? Doing yeah. this, punch, I'm doing this. Okay, and then if we want, okay, we're going to run the same route, but the X is going to act like he's running a hitch, stall, and then run to the middle of the field, which is a very popular concept. We're going to call that slug. Well, Jesus, now I got to know, okay, and this, and it's all memorization. And instead of being like smash copper, smash X go or whatever, that's where you want to tag. And then you're just taking pieces and you're kind of mixing it together. And especially towards the end of the year, when you've already kind of put these things down, it's like, all right, remember that thing I told you to do a couple of weeks ago? That's what you're going to do this week. Yeah. And in fact, in some concepts, on some defenses, it's pretty funny. You see the install sheets when you get towards the end of the playbook, and there's actually no words. It, it's like, it, or it's no descriptions. It'll be like, Sam, do what you did in this coverage. Mike, do what you did in this coverage. Will, do what you do in this coverage. Because you're just taking pieces and moving them all around. This is, um, 
really important. I remember I was uh, I was working on a book on the page. By the way, what the hell are you going to call this podcast? Rambling. I don't, do you know what's funny? We haven't even got to what I came to discuss yet. Can you believe Great. that? How long have we done? Now yeah, we haven't yeah. got to what I was going yeah. to discuss with you. I'm yet. sorry. This is going to be a seven parter. Me and Fess. I go until Sunday. Records for longest podcast. I, every time I go on a podcast, I'm like, my, my goal is to set the record for yes. the longest podcast. For better isn't this work. so much fun though isn't this fun i'm having a good time i hope everybody's still so, listening on on i was gonna say so i was writing a book on belichick and the patriots what would be now eight years ago that book did not wind up happening for myriad of reasons including a breakdown from one ollie Connolly because he got bogged into the weeds on all the different coverage concepts wanted it to be perfect it, very difficult to discuss bill belichick's coverage package in a mainstream sellable book let me tell you those are some rough battles with an editor um and I remember them explaining to me that this do your job thing, which sounds like almost like a corny gimmick, what the expression is, you should not care about the structure of the defense, man. That's for us. Well, I'm teaching you exactly what you're saying. I'll teach you these three techniques to begin the season. Whether I'm calling six, four, whatever the fuck I'm calling, you just need to know that's what you do. Don't worry about what's happening over there. That's what you do. And so one week I might tell you, yeah, we're playing this week and Dawson Knox has become really good. And we weren't expecting Dawson Knox to be good. So we're going to change things slightly. Don't you worry about what that impacts on the back end. And as you, you can go through um, the great, the first few Patriots America's games, if you remember them, they have really cool footage of Belichick on the practice field and in the meeting room. America's game, they, they kind of changed how it, how it um, became. Now it's a bit more of a Disney film each time. It was really in the weeds, those first, um, th those um, when they had NFL films, not vintage footage, that like middle period of like 98 to 05, 06, they get really amazing meeting room footage. And he's talking about the team as a living, breathing organism. And like Sarg discusses with offense, we're going to layer everything. So uh, that first four months, I'm just building the first layer because I'm here to win games in January, man. And we'll slowly build this yeah. thing out where, like you're saying, Vass, is when we get to the playoffs, I'll just tell you, it, it doesn't, don't even worry about the name. Do what we did in week seven. Remember that? Wasn't that fun? Let's go out and do that. Yeah, that's what a lot of it is. I mean, I, I know like by the end, you know, people say defense is like an amoeba. You hear that a lot too. And, and, and it morphs and moves. And, you know, we had a whole thing at uh, Millsaps was do your 111th, which was, that was kind of before the do your job was really, um, people knew that that was like their thing. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like a corny rallying cry, but it was literally like, if everybody does your job, the problem in defense is when one guy tries to do somebody else's job. And we used to have a phrase, and this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but we used to have a phrase in the secondary, and we took this from TCU, which was, if we're all wrong, we're all right. Meaning, if I call cover four, and we all run cover two, because we were a split, split, split field team, meaning we cut the defense in half, and we had one side and another side. That doesn't mean we were always in split safeties, meaning we were playing two deep coverages. But our corner, our nickel, our strong safety, and our Mike linebacker were to one side, our will linebacker, our free safety, and our other corner were to one side. And if that safety, he said cover two, when I said cover four, as long as his side played cover two. Now, there were some calls that were full field, meaning like you can't run half of Tampa two. It doesn't, I mean, in theory, you could if you wanted to run like converted halves on the backside, but like cover three, most of the three variations means you have to have everything fitting together. But when you're using those split safety tools, and this is to your point about the, the tags and, and or like how you could put the pieces together, 
most of that stuff is independent of each other, not even interdependent, like completely independent. And so the problem wasn't if that side played two and was supposed to play four. The problem was if the corner played four and the safety played two. So we had the safeties were literally the quarterback of their side of the defense. And then do your 111th wasn't just happy horse shit that you like hit this like Ted Lasso where you hit the sign before you hit the field. Um, it was literally like, just do your freaking job and, and I'll worry about how all the pieces fit together. And that was one of the things about using that sentence structure. One of my favorite things I used to do when I first started coaching was we had this kid on our team named um, Ryan Brown. He was amazing, smart, hilarious, just a coach's dream. He wasn't the best football player, but he was one of the backups and he was, he, he knew his role on the team, great leader, but he could tell you everybody's job on on most of our plays which is cool like as a coach but i don't want him to like i would never want that in fact a lot of the coaches one of the problems that and i'm not trying to say this to sound like mr cool guy but one of the problems that people had when they tried to run the defense after i would leave somewhere they would try to take it somewhere else is you know they would hit my safeties coach up and he'd be like, well, this is what we did on the back end, but I don't know what we did on the front end. Like the coaches didn't even know. I was the only person on the entire team that knew where all the pieces were fitting together because it was all independent of each other. And it didn't matter. And, and a lot of people say, well, that's not good. Yeah, but if I'm just focused on what I have to do and you trust each other implicitly, you're able to do more. Because if I know the guy next to me is going to do his job and I don't have to worry about him I now can remember more shit basically is simple terms. Yes. And because I can remember more shit again, it doesn't mean that we need to run 97 calls versus a team. And so that we can get that call, that one call that we're going to run using the Belichick example, we're going to have this one craft, a call. We can change it. We don't have to worry about if that shit, I got to know this guy's job because is he going to do it now? And what always happens? I start to do his job and then I'm not doing mine. And then there's, and then the guy that's behind me gets blamed when it's really was my fault. I mean, how and many we're times pointing at each that? other and we're having an yeah. inquiry and All we're not lining up for the next up. play. Yeah. Arms up defense. We are like, what the, you know, what the hell is going on? It was, and, and a lot of people, when they watch a broadcast and they'll see a guy screw up and then he'll be looking around and putting his, oh, he's trying to blame. But most of the time it's really, he's, that guy's correct. He's like, what the he's hell like, what happened? Yeah. That's not my job. So, I mean, that's where you want to build that piece. And, and if you're doing it right, I think that's how you're doing it. You can't now, like the backers know each other's jobs. The two defensive linemen next to each other will know because a lot of them you have to cross train because, you know, defensive line, one side has to know the other side. Cause all I have to do is pick the tight end up and move them to the other side. And then it's like, oh shit. Um, so we got to do this. You know what I mean? So uh, there, there's some of that, but you try to minimize that. Okay, one thing I wanted to get into, we're actually going to start the, the true podcast I came to do now. Are you excited? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm working on this project for the off-season. Um, something I've been thinking about a bunch recently. And I think I've been like you in a sense. I've heard you talk about this before, where you are independent of players, right? As personalities, yeah. as people almost, that it's short, it's uh, crosses on a chalkboard and all that stuff. And I've always been as a writer, when I'm in the game, scheme centric, scheme heavy, that the player is often just a number. And so I've been trying more and more when I left for 18 months 
which is what I did in my career. I was like, I'm going to try and learn more of the human side. I'm going to speak to coaches now that they know I'm out of it and they're more forthcoming with stuff. Let me learn some of the kind of the human element of the game and how you teach guys. And so I come to watch this season and, and I went back on this as well. I went back to the early Patriots teams, those Belichick defenses, 01, 03, 04, which is just freakish. Um, went through those Seattle teams that well, I think is the best pro defense uh, certainly I've ever seen. And then I'm watching Georgia and Alabama, um, not, not so much last year for Alabama, certainly Georgia this year. And I'm watching how violent these teams are. And I think the Panthers are like this too. I just watched them against the Eagles. Shaq Thompson is out of his mind at the moment. And I wanted to ask you about being violent on defense in the modern game because it's almost become like a word you can't use anymore because the association, it's like almost synonymous now with a headshot for some reason, being violent on defense and being aggressive and being in your face and all this type of stuff. So I just wanted to have that kind of big picture discussion with you about creating almost this intensity on defense where these guys, I understand there's unbelievable X's and O's going on in Georgia. I understand they have better players than everyone but these guys play at a level, you know, Clemson has great players. Ohio state recruits all the five stars too in the Midwest, right? They don't get those Southeastern guys. They get all the Midwest guys. They don't play like this. These guys play angry constantly. And there's something for me about the greatest defense as you go through them. These guys play with a different level of violence than the, even the good ones do. Yeah. There's a quote. Um, and I, I don't even want to try to say it because I'm going to butcher it so bad. I'm not going to do any justice. So when I tried to look it up, it was about the the, the claims of, of violence with Mike Leach. But he had a great quote about there was something. Football is like a thinking man's game or something. And he's like, yeah, but it's also very violent. And I, again, I'm not doing anything, any of it justice. And I, I'm, but go check that out. Go find that quote because he sums it up best. And I think it comes down to getting defense is getting 11 people to the ball in a pissed off mood. And the more violent the player, usually the better they are. <laughs> I should, I mean, that's not always true because you can lose your head, but a lot of it violence is it's usually comes through ability in the sense that like, I don't know. I don't know too many violent quote unquote football players who aren't good. I I've coached a lot of kids that were violent, like that were great in street fights, but you know, they couldn't play football <laughs> and, and the violence didn't come across on the field. You know, it's the whole, uh, I'm, I want to say, I wouldn't say the Mike Tyson quote about, you know, he goes into boxing and he's like, wait, there's rules. I'm used to fighting on the street. And at first it almost like took, took some of the edge off of him. I mean, very, very, very short period of time, but you know, I think that comes down to being like, if you think of, of the most violent players, name me one that wasn't good. And I'm not talking about cheap shot artists. That's, that's a whole not Bosworth. Bosworth stunk at the pros. Yeah. He yeah. Was just, but I'm talking like violent hits, ferocious legal hits. Well, Cam legal. Chancellor. For time. Yeah. Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor was a football, football player. Yeah. Right. He was a great football player. I mean, those guys now, it doesn't mean just because you're good, you're violent, but I mean, a lot of it is it's, it's, you know, what is it? force equals mass times acceleration who can enact that quickly 
strong people that are traveling fast and they can, you know, especially in short bursts, it's, um, you know, it, it's the ability to accelerate in a short amount of, uh, a short distance, a short amount of time. I'm just thinking, and, and I, a lot of times I'll say something like this, I'll throw out a hypothesis and have time like, well, actually I'm full of crap. But I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I don't know if I've ever seen a quote unquote bone crunching hint between and, and something that was meant to be not two guys running into each other that didn't see each other. I'm talking about like a perfectly executed form tackle where you'd be like, that was the violent football play from a shitty player. I just can't think of it I, off the top of my head. And so I, I think that it comes down to, you know, are you good? And do you have a lot of lead in your pencil, so to speak? And, and, and do you want to do that? Like Cam Chancellor was amazing. Earl Thomas was amazing, but Earl Thomas wasn't as big. He wasn't as strong. And he, that may have not been his game. I don't, I don't know Earl personally. I don't know what he was trying to do, quote unquote, on the field. I know that Cam Chancellor was trying to to kill people. I mean, in, in, as a figure of speech. I mean, I went through the, um, I rewatched the the first Denver, the Super Bowl, and you remember that Denver team? They just ripped through the league. It was like eighteen bazillion touchdowns. Manning scored that year, and then you go to the first three plays of the game, and he looks like an old man because that Seahawks defense is bigger, stronger, faster than everyone on the field. And I don't know if I'm ascribing something. That I believe to be true, you know, I'm reverse engineering. They're the best defenses ever, so I go back to them. But I was reading all the Sherman quotes about, I think a lot of this stems from practice. That's why I'm interested in as someone who's practiced with players, admittedly high school players, college players, I get it. But it's it's all comparative, right? It's just going up the levels. The, in practice, those Seahawks guys did not like the offense. They didn't like those guys, right? And so they tried to beat them up. I was reading the, the dynasty bug on uh, the Patriots, and Teddy Bruschi in there is saying, we did not like Bill Belichick when he first got here. Respect him sort of. Remember there was that whole Tom Jackson fiasco? Bill Belichick hated him. He reported that his players hated Belichick after they won the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. And that was obviously a big deal. And the players said, no, we didn't. Well, in the book now, they say, well, we kind of did. And so in practice, we took out a lot of our animosity on the field and it raised this practice level to it being like a violent culture that then they were unleashed against not their friends on Sundays, I think the the level of physicality in practice um, has a, a massive part to do with how intense these guys are playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, I found the quote, and this is not maybe exactly the uh, the best quote. Now, this was from 2005, and, and t- things have changed a little bit. You know, I don't know how you know, this show is probably sex positive, but this is the quote from Mike. If you want to cut this out, you can. <laughs> but he said, thinking man's football is a bit like classy stripper. If the adjective modifies the noun too energetically, it undermines the nature of the thing. Football is the most violent sport. And because of that, the most intense and emotional. Truth is, he loves the violence. And then it goes on to talk about uh, Leach's love of violence and sport back at his time at BYU. But it's like. It's a violent game, and I know that there's there's been a push to eliminate some of the injuries because, oh, let's be honest, and, and I believe this with all my heart, I, I'm a defensive coach at heart. I always will be. So the whole, like, targeting rules and some of the hits, the, the freaking roughing the passer rules in the NFL are ludicrous. There was a 
play this weekend. I, I think it was the Falcons and the Jets, and it was like the guy just tackled it's him. Embarrassing, like, yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do? And the guy's like, not lay on him. I'm like, do you understand what you're asking these people to do? We want you to run full speed and, and, and you know, all this stuff, but then at the last second be able – I mean, some guys – they're just not that athletic. A lot of people think you want you want to see a good athlete. Oh, watch them run fast, run watch them in a straight line. You want to watch somebody be a really good athlete? Watch them stop on a dime. Deceleration is just as I think. I mean, it's not as important in some aspects of football as acceleration, but like that's why the pros are able to practice in t-shirt and shorts and go almost full speed because they know how to miss each other with grace and elegance. Kind of going against uh, Leach's quote right there, but you do that in high school, someone's going to blow a knee out because they're not athletic enough to stop. But with that being said, if football would have stayed on the trajectory it was on without making these role changes, it wouldn't have been around for very long. I would have given it like 10, 20 years. And I think that was horseshit until I went, we were doing this uh, thing in San Mateo about player safety and whatnot. And longtime San Francisco City College legend, uh, George Rush, head coach of the program, was speaking about concussions. And he started off a speech with, like, football is going to die. And we were like, oh, my God, like, what the hell? You know, this is George Rush saying it. And as much as I roll my eyes and shit at some of this stuff, like, some of these changes, it needed to happen or else the game, the courts are too powerful, man. There would have been some, somebody would have gotten hurt. Somebody would have gotten some sort of injury, somebody too important, and everything would have changed whether we liked it or not. So as much as I sometimes roll my eyes at the changes, they were needed. And I begrudgingly accept them because if not, we probably wouldn't have had football. The changes would have been more drastic. But I think it comes back to going back to your original question. I think it goes to skill. I think it goes, it's just like tackling. People talk about working on tackling. Tackling is about want to and ability. That's what it's about. When you, I always said, you don't teach tackling, you shape tackling. Like you shouldn't have to tell somebody how to tackle minus a few key, key points. Like keep your head and eyes up, make sure you decelerate. There's one thing where like deceleration is important. It's in tackling. You want to gather, break down, shimmy down, however you want to say it, and then be able to strike through to and through your target. But a lot of it, especially at low levels, at high levels, it's, not about one two everybody wants to tackle except maybe Deion sanders but you know it, it, it's the 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 abilities there or the want to is there rather and then it's just the now it's a mismatch of ability you know you have darren sproles on a big linebacker with a cage face mask and a neck roll it's probably not going to be a great result for that linebacker but you know at lower levels that's what it's all comes down to you have some shitty player and you're like make him tackle better it's like he either wants to tackle, he either can tackle, but if he doesn't, if he can't do either, he's not going to tackle. I can do tackling drills all day. I, I've told the story a bunch. Like one of the teams I won a championship with, and Sarah, we didn't practice tackling after the fourth week because there were a bunch of Polynesian kids that grew up playing rugby. I didn't have to teach them how to tackle. In fact, it was like they were too good at tackling. We're like, hey, guys, don't tackle. You're going to hurt yourself in practice. <laughs> I wasn't worried about them hurting their teammates. I was worried about them hurting themselves just after a while, just how ferocious they were. But then there was other teams that we had to practice it twice a week and still couldn't tackle. So like that Seahawk tackling thing always makes me chuckle because it's really overblown, I think, personally. 
And I should say, my missus studies CTE. That's her job. So I am I'm well aware. So when I'm talking about violence on defense, I really am talking about flow to the ball. I feel like watching Georgia, and I know this is a historically great defense. The numbers say they're like the fourth best defense in the history of college football and all that stuff. They're really advanced. They're the so best spread defense. They're, they're the best defense I've seen in the spread era. Yes. So I get they're great. So maybe I'm adding a little extra something there. But I watched in that Clemson game, and that Clemson defense was really good in that game too. And they just looked more angry about the fact they had to play that game i think it's I, just really good players i mean that's so? i think that's i mean tell me a really physical defense that you've seen that wasn't good no yeah that's that that's what i said i can't and then the, there may be a listener shouting at the and i again i mean violent i'm not talking about penalized teams guys hitting people late that's not violence but violence in football comes to me is when they can when they can see it coming or you know, it, it's that it's Seahawks, so that Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, I think is a great example because Peyton, who has seen everything, right? And he's an older guy at that point, and he, he starts flinching and getting rid of the ball really fast because he's like, it really hurts when these guys bend around the edge and they crease me and they want to do it and they're snarling and they're angry and they yeah. would love nothing more than to de- decapitate me in a Super Bowl on the biggest stage because that's what those guys love to do. I think it's the love of like you said, defense, Daryl, not having to teach practicing the tackling because these guys love to do it. Well, I think the, the, the rules of the game have changed a lot of those big hits. I mean, you can't even hit a quarterback now. I mean, like that play, and I hate to belabor the point, but that Jets Falcons game, the guy hit him with his shoulder, hit him right in the strike zone or whatever the hell it's called. He was launching. And I mean, launching, I'm not like the, 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 formal term launching like leading with your head no i'm talking about like he left his feet there's a better way to say it left his feet right right before the ball came out but he landed on him like what the fuck do you want me like i I, and it wasn't like he landed on him and like drove himself into him it was like bang bang it wasn't one of those deals where he could have really stopped and i'm just like what like what am i missing here and i and then a bunch of people are like, well, on section 10, article six, it says that you can't. I'm like, all right, take your rule book and shove it up your ass. But I understand that's technically illegal, but Jesus, what do you want the guy to do? But also, if I'm Roger Goodell or name X, Y, NFL executive, I know where my bread is buttered. And it's not usually defensive ends. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good Miles Garrett gets. He'll never be as he'll never be the face of a team like a quarterback will. And you can replace a Miles Garrett. I'm not saying he I want to make sure I'm very clear on that. Uh it's easier to replace a Miles Garrett than it is a Patrick Holmes. Yeah, my, and I don't give a shit what you say. Like that, people, I mean, I, like, in general, even the people who bemoan the roughing, the passive stuff, which I think every football fan does at this point, you don't like no, it. Some of those offensive dipshits are there. That's true. But I'm, I'm talking about the general public. Everyone's like, this is bullshit. It's not the game I loved. When we get to January and you remember some of those playoff games where it's like Brock Osweiler and it's backup versus backup. Yeah, you don't want to be watching that stuff. That's why. Well, how about this? They've done this exactly. I mean, I, my own life. So I'm. My dad gets uh, tickets to the Chiefs Dolphins game. I think it was Joe Montana's last year, and it was supposed to be Montana Marino. And it was the year I think I might have been the same year that Marino tore his Achilles. You were how old are you? Uh, twenty eight. 
<sighs> you may not have even been born yet, but we were supposed to go see. You're supposed to be Montana Marino at the Twilight of Their Career, and it was fucking Scott Mitchell and Steve Bono or Elvis Gerback or some shit. So like, I get it, but also like, I, you know, I, I'm also biased because i'm a defense i was a defensive football coach i still advise people like i you know i i don't coach on an everyday basis but i'm game planning like i'm i'm gonna be watching a game tomorrow for a team that i help put the game plan together for you know i mean it's not the same as coaching your own team but it's not like i'm like not watching football and not thinking about it constantly i just have generally better thoughts about it when i think about it because my life isn't being ruined by it (laughs) (laughs) by the way if you want to write that belichick coverage book let me know because I know, I know most of the coverages. I can just—it's—it's it's gonna be frustrated because it's gonna be like stuff that you probably sought out for years and years and years. I'm like, oh, let me pull up this document. <laughs> like, where was this when I was writing this book? Uh, so, speaking of coverage stuff, so you're watching more NFL football now. You said than you had done in the past yeah. when you first. I should the- say more regular season now because when when it got when our season was over, I would watch, but okay. like more regular season um like day to day like i'm kind of keeping an eye out for everybody kind of a thing even then forget that preface because i can say and i can give very basic general stuff of here's why i like dave aranda here's why i like jim leonard here's why i like fangio when you put the tape on no matter what level where it is what are like the three or however many essential tenants where you can look at it snapshot after however many plays it takes and say, I like what this team does structurally. Is there, are there essential tenants where you're like, because when you hear non, non coaches who commentate on this stuff, say it's an offensive guy. I think it's easier for listeners to understand. They'll go basic stuff. I use example all the time. If a guy runs an RPO like Nick Sirianni, suddenly that's supposed to be innovative, even if they use it in a horseshit way. The fact that the phrase RPO is used, that's innovative, right? You understand what is happening in the coverage concept beyond just the fact they're calling it. So what are the things you look at and go, I like this guy. I get what this guy is trying to do. And I think it works well. Oh man, that's a great question. That's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. Kudos to you. Okay. So this is one of those questions. Like if, if you wanted a really good answer from me, that was like succinct, you have to let me flesh this out a little bit. Go for it. Because this is uh, to pick three or main ones. Uh, that's going to be in like ordered. Please don't ask me to play a season like orders of importance because I will not. You don't three, <laughs> we'll be if you want one, 20, whatever, no, whatever uh, you turn uh, on and you go, yeah, this guy gets it. Yeah, I'll give you the main things. First of all, are they sound? Meaning, uh, because let's talk RPOs. Let's, let's talk about some of that stuff. Play action pass. Anytime that the offense or the defense rather has a run pass conflict or then a responsibility conflict, meaning, and you don't see this, but here's an example, like, okay, I'm supposed to be taking on one of the lead blockers, but I have the flat that's conflict because what do you do? You send somebody at them to, to try to engage and then you sneak somebody behind them. You know, that, that's, that's conflict. And then obviously the, the one, or the one that would be most obvious rather is RPOs play action play action was actually easier because you could tell the difference. In fact, most linebackers at higher levels probably could stand behind the offense or in front of the offense and close their eyes and be able to tell you if it's a run or play action, because it just sounds different. Cause if you're running a play action, especially in the NFL, where you can only go a yard downfield. Well, you're supposed to only go a yard downfield, but we all know that horseshit doesn't hold up. 
some bitches are blocking the alley safety and they're throwing arrow routes. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? It's not about it's college, but it's still bad. Don't worry, just another whiny defensive coach. But um, but the RPOs is hard, and that's why it was so hard on quarters coverage, is because the great thing about quarters coverage for so long was if they run the ball, you do this. If they pass the ball, you do this, and you look at this key because he won't lie to you. Well, what happens now is they're lying. It's not even that they're lying to you. They're doing both. And that's what made quarters so great was it was you were 50-50. You were always going to be right. But what happens when they're doing both and you're 100% right and 100% wrong? And that's what's where division of labor. That's why you see more two read coverage where you don't have two guys having 50% responsibility on this and 50%. You're saying, okay, I'm going to move you close to the box. You're going to be a run first player. Okay, I'm going to move you back and you're going to be a pass first player. You can still get involved in the other phase, but you're thinking this first. And that's what's had to happen. So going back is, are we, are, are we, are we sound and are we not in conflict? Are we gap sound? And if they send four guys deep, do we have four guys deep? One of the things that drives me insane about cover three, especially at the NFL, I hated it at high school. I hated the junior high level, let alone fucking NFL is they send four guys deep and we have three guys and we're asking one guy to cover two guys. Such, you know, I didn't go to Stanford. I don't have a degree in mathematics, but that, that, that makes me insane. Um, that's the first thing is, are we sound? Do we have good edges? And then, then it goes to, because I always say this, ugly football plays happen outside and deep. Very few plays, I shouldn't say very few, but if you take explosive plays in a game, most of the time, most of the time, they're going to happen outside and they're going to happen deep where you have less help. And when you're evaluating a defense, like one thing I look at is their fits, their run fits. Okay. There's really in, in the most unscientific, unfootball, coachy, speak, talk, you're trying to build a fence. You have somebody outside in, you have somebody inside out, and you have somebody head up to the ball. So you're trying to build a fence around the football. I watched a high school team who remain nameless lately that they're spilling the ball outside. They're making the ball go outside, but nobody's showing up. I think it was my mistake. They fixed it, but it was happening. And I, and I believe me, I preached and preached and preached and preached this. And it still happens where a guy takes a bad angle. He doesn't think somebody's going to be as fast as they are, or they're really good. So they start to come up inside. So I start to, I know I'm doing something with my hand that only you can see. I got to remember, I'm used to doing these pods where it's audio only. And I know this one's audio only, but the other person usually can't see me because then I start doing shit with my hands. That you <laughs> can barely see anyway, let alone your listeners can't see. So they'll start to come outside in, and then all of a sudden the guy will do one of these crazy Superman cuts and hop outside, and that's like, oh, shit, I'm out leveraged. So are they sound in the passing game? Do they have edges? If they're spilling the ball, you know, you're spilling the ball to an unblocked defender. Where is that defender? Are they outside? Spilling means I'm taking on a block. I'm making the ball go outside. If I'm forcing the ball in or boxing it back in, is there somebody there to box it too? You know, you'll see guys turn the ball back inside and then the guy that's supposed to be running inside out in, or inside of you is outside and there's nobody, you're turning the ball back to nobody. And it's a bad design. It's not one of these things where like the guy that's supposed to be the tackler and the ball is being funneled to got blocked. Um, and so those are like the first things. Now, once you've reached like the bar of competence, then it, the styles that I look for are my favorite style is some sort of match coverage. I, I, as a 
as a uh, average, spot dropping coverages have their place, just like six man pressures have their place, just like drop eight coverages. Like everything has its place. And I've tried to say uh, that I wouldn't say never or always because there's things in my career that I've said I'll never do and end up doing in some of the biggest games of my life. So I've learned that lesson, but I generally don't like true spot dropping defenses because the hash marks never caught a pass. Never in the history of football has the hash mark reached up and grabbed a ball. Fast dudes catch footballs. And so I generally want a fast dude around them if that's the case. And I'm being very reductionist at this, but that's the truth. So how much is watching the NFL driving you crazy now? Because we're in the, we're in this spot dropping boom where it's like, man, you have the best plays in the world, and you're so terrified of the, the McVeigh stuff that you just decide spot drop, try and spy the football. It's it's a peculiar. And the, that's the crazy part is the McVeigh stuff. You want you you don't want to spot drop. You 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 want to latch onto things. That's where they get you. And it's and it's such a again, and I've said this a lot before, but football is a simple game and complicated by coaches. Like all McVay does, all he does is he fakes the run. So you come up and then the safety bails out of there and there's like 15 yards of horizontal space. Most of what happens in football, this is one thing that I want to say. Most of what happens on a football field happens horizontally. Uh, most people think that, um, player, well, it's actually horizontally in the pass game and then vertically in the run game. So most people think that holes open up like left to right. A lot of times holes in the run game open up where the line comes up field, the backers stay behind, and then the back is able to get between them and then can cut either way rather than like this giant hole opened up and they can run straight ahead through it and then just keep running straight ahead. There's usually some sort of cut. And then those vertical holes happen. And I, I know I'm, I misspoke. I meant to say also in the past game, but I said the other way around where you, you sniff up, you get the linebackers to come up, the safeties bail, like in cover three. You have a defense that has three layers. So you have the defensive line, the underneath droppers, and a guy that's deep. Now you've taken your, your two of your layers and you put them really far apart vertically. So you got a safety who, when the quarterback hits his back foot's at 20 something yards, and the backers, because they think it's a run, are up at the line of scrimmage. And all they're doing is sneaking people in between those. That 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 vertical seam, or maybe seam's not the right word, but that 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 distance. That's all it is. Now there's a million ways to do it, and there's more scientific ways to make that happen. And how do you get certain guys to react to certain things? That's the the beauty of it. But that's all they're trying to do. And so that drives me insane. Like I watched the Chiefs the other night, and and I know the Chiefs have like a historically bad defense, but they're running Tampa two and they're hitting a check down over the ball and it goes for 25 yards. And it's just like, how does that happen? You know? So, um, you know, that's what I like stylistically. I don't mind bringing pressure as long as it looks like it has a design. It's one of those things with football. It's, you know, it when you see it, which I know is kind of a shitty answer to give when you're supposed to be on a podcast, helping teach people concepts. And then your, your answer is, well, I can't really explain it to you, but if I see it, I know it. And the reason that you can't explain it is because there are thousands of examples and the, the nuances and minute details that would, would go into just one play to tell you whether I think something's well-designed or not, or they're executing it. Well, it could be a thousand different things. So to go through all of those you know 
uh, scenarios, we would be here for, for days on end. And so a lot of it is, you know, I see guys that are blitzing just a blitz or they're obsessed. Like I love Rex Ryan, but I think he ran himself out of the game because he got so obsessed with getting free runners to the quarterback. Like I know Brandon Staley the other day said that like, it's not just quarterback sacks or an importance. It's hurries and like affecting the quarterback. And everybody was like, Oh my God, Brandon Staley is a genius, which is something that like most coaches have said for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. But it's true. Everybody wants that free runner at the quarterback, but a lot of times you're just trying to get good matchups. You know that to get a free runner at the quarterback, the offense is to monumentally screw up or you have to bring so many people that you screw yourself on the back end and the quarterbacks and receivers are too talented. They will find the hole, especially if you're playing certain people like Patrick Mahomes. You do not want to blitz him. Or if you do, you want it to be exotic as shit and something he's never seen before. Well, how much time do you have? Like a lot of people talk about what the Bucks did to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Well, they had two weeks. Like you said, they had two weeks to do all this stuff. It's really hard to put something in that somebody's never seen before. First of all, just to create something that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. Or some, some concoction or mix of something that's new, a new presentation of the quarterback, but then remember that and then do that how many times? But the Baltimore stuff with him was really interesting where they were like, we'll run what we run, but it's all delayed. It's not a classic delay blitz. It's a, we run the traditional, like we'll even just run classic cross dog stuff, but everyone wait and sit two beats. Let him commit. And if he wants to flush himself, lovely. Then we'll go. Why are we committing resources to flush him? He's going to figure it out. And then boom, it's Tyreek Hill down the field for 70 yards. Let him do his Patrick Mahomes stuff. Then we'll go. That was quite interesting. They kind of layer a blitz in that way where it's like, send one, send two. If we want to send the third out, we'll send him. That mm-hmm. that's that's stuff I think you can do really quick where it's like everyone just wait a beat. That's yeah. And and there's some that you do have to change some of the structures to it because then like those verticals, the holes we talked about, because it, it's it's more complicated than everybody just wait a second. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to do that, the line would get past the depth of the quarterback, and now you create a lane for him to escape, not left or right. But I can get past the line, and now I can go out either way. It's a, for the same reason that when you tell somebody in football when you set the edge, don't get too far up the field. Because you can be outside in, but if you're five yards past the ball carrier, he can just run right outside and get to where you were. He, you're not in front of him anymore. But a lot of it is and, – and this is something, you know, you've mentioned Georgia. One of the epiphanies I had after I – and this is – I shouldn't even say an epiphany I had, but it was something that they had basically put on a silver platter that I had come, I'd come to this realization that I thought I had come up with something novel, but it was basically what they said just in a different way, which is, you know, when you're playing a scrambling quarterback, the worst thing I think you can do is you can just like mush rush and like, okay, we're going to be slow in a rush because at that level, like in high school, you can do that because there's some kids that literally don't feel comfortable playing in the pocket. But at the NFL level, any quarterback worth their salt, even backups will feel comfortable in the pocket. I, I don't know if I've ever truly seen an NFL quarterback that cannot operate in the pocket. I just, that's, that's like a lower level thing where guys like want to run around and then you force them to stay in. So most of the time, if you're giving them a clean pocket, you're giving them what they want. So with Georgia, it was really Alabama. It came from Alabama. They have a concept called odd mirror, and it's brilliant. And what it was, and we actually used this in a state game, they, uh, Bama had used this concept versus Sean Watson in the national championship game. And even though they lost the game, they did a good job well enough where I remembered it um, in containing him in the passing game. 
And basically what they did is they let him break the pocket, but they designed where he could go and they knew where he was going to go. And so it's a game of peekaboo. So you make him think like you basically imagine you have three linemen and then you have two linebackers. One linebacker has the back. The other one is the quote unquote spy. Okay. Well, we're going to let Dijon break the pocket to his left. And then when he starts to roll to his left, boom, somebody's going to come around and get him. And it was one of these things that like, we spent so much time to keep him in the pocket. We were giving him a nice clean pocket and he was unaffected. He could sit back there and control the game. So let's get him to where he thinks he has a place to escape and he has to escape. That's not even much of a choice. Like, oh my God, I feel all this pressure from the right side. I have to roll to my left. And then boom, the guy, because we're setting the trap. Yep. We know he's going to pop around and we're waiting for him. And it's almost like one, two, three, go. And it's, it's not so much of that, but they give them a path where it times up. And then what ends up happening is you get the effect of a blitz with only bringing rushing really three or four people because you get him uncomfortable. Cause the problem with the scrambling quarterback isn't when they actually scramble. It's when the line rush up the field, the backers drop deep. And then there's that vertical space that I can go anywhere I want and then cut whichever direction I want. And there's nobody there for me. But if you break the pocket doing air quotes, and you know they're going to break the pocket. And when about the time that they're going to break the pocket, that's not a big deal. It's like forcing a running play to go a certain direction. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. So I can get the same effect of a blitz with the best coverage I have and disrupt a quarterback as well as I could in a blitz without him having the outlet to just be like, oh, there's my one-on-one matchup. And we did some serious damage with that concept. They they uh they changed the spy rules, right? That's kind of what you're intimating out there as well. The the linebacker like Nakobe Dean now, they almost call him a spy, but it's not the the classic sit and watch and kind of mirror him where he goes and bounces. You just it's purely once he commits, we're gonna try and create an alley so that you can come free to the ball. He might think you're a spy, and once he commits, you go. And so it converts that green dog thing you just you know where you're gonna go. And and so what ends up happening, and there's different ones. And usually you want to make it look like the same presentation you, you want to give when you want to bring a bunch of people. It's actually even more effective when you blitz, 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 and then you drop eight. Well, you're dropping seven, but then you're that one guy is basically like an off-the-ball lineman. Yeah. Like you're having – what I mean by that is he's a linebacker, but you have to count him in the rush. He's not like playing coverage and then, oh, okay, I'm going to go. Again, conflict, right? But you're it, in where they changed the rushes, like mirror, for example, the, the, the original mirror call was both ends would come up and under the nose would go to one side to the side, the backer that was covering the back. So it's almost like you had double coverage because basically the back sets up the block. And again, you want to do this as a team that keeps the back in because if you're counting on that backer, this isn't really conflict. If I have a back stepping up inside and the quarterback scrambles around, he's not going to really throw it to the running back on a screen maybe, but like once he breaks the pocket, it's really hard to like run to the right and then throw it to a back that's up inside. And when you, one of the other things is when you present these looks, you're basically forcing the running back to stay inside. And as a defense on your menu, you say, Hey, if that, if they're releasing that back, we'll bring pressure from that side. There'll be nobody to block. So you basically get a spy and a half with the linebacker that's covering the back to that side and the nose. And I don't, I mean the zero again, this is where you can move people wherever you want them. Like, if you're going to run this concept, put your big fat asses outside, have them dip inside, and all you're doing is you're like, flush the guy and put your athletic guy, usually where your unathletic guy is, let him be the rapper and go get the guy. And then you put your other really, your, your fastest linebacker 
isn't charged with the escape in the other way and you just do it late. So he thinks, oh shit, I got, I, okay, I'm going. And then the another concept, so you do that one first and then there's one where you use the offenses and rules against them. So this is called, we call it high-low. So what would happen is, you can picture this, if you're, look, if you're the quarterback, the defensive end, because I don't. if you're right-handed, you generally don't want to escape to your left because it's harder to throw. So the DN to my left dips inside, okay? And the right end runs the hoop, meaning he runs all the way around because what is an offensive tackle told if a guy runs around you? Let him go. You just got to protect the inside, right? You don't want him letting you beat you with speed. But if he keeps running and put, run around, you don't want to chase him because then he can come back inside. So what happens is normally if you did that, let's say both ends came up field and ran and did the same thing, there would be two giant escape lanes like we just talked about. Like if a guy runs way past the ball, you can cut out. But what they do is they clog that side where he has to go to his left. And then the guy that's coming from the right comes all the way around and sacks him on the other side. And so you use the offensive line's rules against them. Okay, you're going to let me run around you? Well, I'm going to run around you. And you design him to roll, and then the guy comes from the backside, and that's when you pull it up, he stops. And that's when he gets ear from the guy coming all the way around from the other side. And that's how you design that stuff. Because, guys, basically what you do is you chart where they want to escape. Sorry, I hope that wasn't too long. Of no, answer. no, that's, I, that's what I'm after. Okay. This is what we're here for. So yeah. we, we reviewed uh, – the stuff that you that you like and that yeah you know it when you see it and it sounded i this always i always try and explain this to people people who love the game but don't follow any scheme stuff is like every defensive coach is obsessed with the run fit that's like that's the whole point i know it's a passing league and it's passing game and all that stuff the run fit still remains when you ask a coach what you're looking for is it sound how do they fit the run mm-hmm. um what are some of the things that irritate you most, particularly now, like I said, you, you're watching more regular season NFL football. And like I said, we're in this spot dropping boom. And I don't know whether that is purely a lack of trust in their players. They panic that they can't sort through all the clutter because of how condensed everything has become and the amount of motions and they're like, fuck it, just hit a spot and figure it out. I don't, I don't know what the, the point is, um, but what irritates you when you turn on defensive film and you consider it bad or structured poorly? Well, let me first, by answering that question a little bit, what you were saying, whether it's this or that, what I've been told, because I've asked this question, everybody I know in the pros. First of all, it comes down to roster construction. So if you're if you're a team like, and Seattle's a bad example, because they had guys at all three levels that were good, really all four levels, if you count the corners and the safeties differently. But you have, um, and I don't want to use the Tampa Bay Bucks because that's, that's also, they had Hall of Famers everywhere, like the Niners guy when they went to the super bowl you invest your capital on front like washington the washington football team all their draft capital and money is up front so you don't have guys that can play man coverage or they don't recruit those type of guys or not recruit sorry college college days in my head you don't sign draft free agents spend all your money on guys that can man cover so you invest your, your money up front. And that's so first of all, you're going to limit your creativity off the bat. Because the worst thing that you can do is drop, you know, Montez sweat into coverage. You, that's how you get fired and blitz your inside linebacker. That's absolutely terrible. So that 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 kind of limits yourself off the bat, but you don't have a bunch of money to spend elsewhere. 
And then, so man is kind of out of the question just from a skill standpoint. And then the, the thing that I hear about zone match coverage is that, oh, we don't have time, which I think is absolute horse shit. I had a flag football team. So when I was at Sarah High School, we had a flag football team. We were like the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And I coached the team, and the high school players would be my assistants. I put in quarters coverage to a group of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders on a, on a black top before the first game. I, we had 45 minutes to get it together. And the kids, the first game, were making all the calls and doing everything. Now, were they perfect? No. But if I can teach a group of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, I can teach a group of professional athletes. And I'm not that smart. I'm not trying to tell you this to make it like I have some genius. Now, some of the Nick Saban, how they teach match coverage is very involved. But like the thing about like the Vic Fangio guys, their match coverage comes from fire zones. So they actually did it the other way around. Because most people, when they teach zone coverage, like zone pressure coverage, they teach the base element of it. And then it's okay, we're going to bring pressure. This is how we're going to change it. They're the other way around. They teach fire zones, meaning I'm going to rush three. I'm going to rush five, play three under three deep. And then they have a bonus dropper. They literally call them the bonus dropper. So it's basically man, unless they cross and it turns in the zone, which would be a way I would play it. But the argument there is, and, and I kind of see where they're coming from. Who's the best slot receiver in the NFL right now? Who would you say? Well, is it a guy going inside? Cause Devonte Adams it could be a guy. Let's say, that's snub, actually a better, inside and he's impossible to stop. That's a better example. Cause he plays outside and inside. So you're a match three team. And you're the Redskins. Oh, I did it. I was so oh, proud. Oh, you did so well in the first one as well. I know. I was so proud of myself. I did a Washington football team podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I think I said uh, the R skins like 47 times. And I kept beating myself up. I nailed it the first time. I was so <laughs> proud. Glad I didn't say anything because then I would look like a real jerk and celebrate. But, um, you know, that safety that's coming down is Landon Collins. And he's got to cover Adams basically one on one. For the first 10 yards, do you want that? Or do you want a potential double team where you got a guy dropping kind of outside of him and a guy dropping from the inside out where he's got to go into some traffic? That's where I can kind of see. That's where I kind of go, okay, I get it. Because the matchup is awful. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't want that. Even the best covering safeties, man covering safeties, you don't want them on Adams. You'll you'll take them versus a really good tight end like a Kittle, but you don't want them on an Adams. I mean, I, I don't know. And please don't tweet me, well, you could do this and you could do that, and you know, that sort of thing. Because I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But right now, this is what this is what I'm thinking. But I I, yeah, I can't think of a safety. Oh, the, man. The, Help me out here. What, what's what's like a, who's a guy that, on a, a safety that you'd be like, yeah, I'd have him cover Adams one on one. Oh, I don't think there's a player in, on earth at the moment. There's like, a like, core. Oh, yeah, would maybe do it, but but so so that's the argument. So maybe against him you don't do it. But the argument then is okay, fine. But there's other tools you can use. You get into too high, you could do some things with your front, and you could play too high coverages, but then. You know, everybody talks about Staley and Fangio and the quarter stuff, but quarters is man. with It's four across man with a four-man pass rush. If you are playing cover four and the team runs four verticals and and it, it, the guy doesn't make some free play off the edge and run around and make a sack, you have cover zero coverage with four-man rushing. So you don't have the six guys coming. So, But there's some tools you can do. And um, 
uh, there's a friend of mine. I won't, I'm not going to plug another publication, but a friend of mine just wrote about it extensively. You can cut this part if you want. No, no, but promote. Seth Galina just wrote an article today about how to cover, how to double atoms, basically talking about doubling atoms. This is exact. So I'm glad you picked them. So it didn't seem like I was trying to work in a, <laughs> work in a promotion for my buddy. I love buddy. Seth. No, go. But like when Fanjo used to play one of the Bears, they would play basically cover two to a side. And so in that, now I, you wouldn't use a guy like Landon Collins, obviously because he wasn't on the team, but also because in the scenario I gave you, Landon Collins would be over the top, but you put somebody trailing him because I may not be able to cover Devontae Adams one-on-one. I'm, I'm not saying me personally. I'm saying an NFL DB. Obviously, I can't cover that. <laughs> but if I'm told I got to trail him inside by a yard, and that maybe it's not exact science because hell, if I could be exactly one yard inside and one yard underneath on him everywhere, then I should be able to cover him normally. Right. Like uh, using logic, but you got to just say inside underneath just enough. You got to basically stay between him and Rogers. We have to put air on the ball. So the safety can break on it. You got a better chance, but then the thing is, can you defend the run with, with a light box? And that was the whole thing. And it goes back to the Rams. Rams tried it last year. They said, run the ball. And I was like, dare you. And, Green Bay went, okay, and they did. And that's how they won the game. And so it's that I can see certain situations where that is doable. But Isn't there, isn't there a part of this, though, where it's like them saying they don't have the time? I mean, and you meant you, like, flipped and said, oh, recruiting. But, I mean, it is recruitment in a way. Like, they have to draft – Belichick went for that phase where he was like, I'm only taking guys who, with people who are ostensibly off my orbit in some way. I'm taking the Rutgers guys. They're running what I run, some, sometimes a dummy version, sometimes the version. So I'm going to take them because I know they're going to turn up on day one and be able to figure out some of what I want to do. Um, remember the Bengals when they had a really good team and they went too deep with like Pro Bowl players when uh, Dalton was the quarterback? And they were like, we're only taking guys from these seven schools. Because we think they run basically the same stuff. So when they all arrive together, you know, we'll be able to run all the same stuff. So you, you could you could do it in that way and just be like, I don't know, we like what Fresno State runs. Let's go get three of their guys. You know, there's a way you could do it. I feel like it's almost a cop out to be like, oh, we don't got time. Everyone's got wife and kids. They don't want to be up on the on the iPad all night. I think you got it. So that's true. But you got to think about the general managers. You know, and I know very few places they fire the coach and keep the GM, but you don't have a lot of time. And so, I mean, maybe that's to your point, but if I'm a general manager and I may only get one shot at this, I don't know if I'm going to limit myself to drafting players from seven schools. Like that's I mean, some shit you do when the guy drafting the team owns the team. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's yeah, like, well, if, to your point there, well, that's Marv Lewis and it's um, Marvin Lewis, right? Yeah. And Belichick. So it's two guys who were there for 12 for years already. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, cool. We can if do I'm this. Matt rule. And I'm getting my shot at Carolina. Yeah, And it's my first shot, and I'm, like, going to come in and be like, I'm only taking school players from the Big 12 or whatever. Yeah. Like, holy shit, you better not miss. Because just from a perception standpoint, if you say Uh, something like that. If it goes wrong and you wake up to the 7,000 World Athletic article that details how your draft board is only the Big 12. Uh, Ollie Ollie Connolly's writing a a hit piece on you because you only drafted players from the worst defensive conference in all of football and you're an idiot. Then, yeah, then I I wouldn't – I'd be afraid of that too. A lot of it's cover your ass. Mm -hmm. But, that I mean, that's also – and, and it's a time thing, but it's also like they're not good at it. And I, 
And it goes back to this, and, and I'm going to use an analogy that's not quite the same, but it's the same theory that like, you want to do something, you want to do something, you, you move closer to it, but if you can't do it, screw it. You just got to move back. So the old coaching adage is, if you can't get there with four, rush five. If you can't get there with five, rush six. If you can't get there with six, rush three. Fuck it. Don't try to rush anymore. <laughs> and so I think the thinking is, okay, we want to match. We want to play zone match. So we're going to drop to a spot and then pick a guy up, which is a zone concept, but still matching. Okay, what's the next step? We want to play man match. Okay, so we're going to – I mean, all man match. So I know there's some confusion with coverage. People think there's zone, there's man, and there's match. There's four. There's zone coverage, which is I'm going to drop to a spot. I'm going to read the quarterback's intentions, and then I'll try and relate to a route. But I'm looking at the quarterback. I'm feeling my routes. There's Then there's man, which is I got my man wherever he goes. And then you can bracket, and you can have a guy deep and whatever, but I'm, I'm not passing shit off. Then there's zone match and man match. Zone match being I'm going to drop to a spot, and I'm going to see the quarterback to get my initial indicator of what's happening. But now I'm going to start looking around for people to pick up and I'm going to relate to them in zone. I'm not going to like go clamp on them and jump and play man right now, but I'm still going to match people. I'm not dropping. I'm not just like dropping to the hash and staring at the quarterback. And then there's man match, which is I got this guy unless. So the best example is cover one with a rat in the hole, meaning it's five underneath man there's one guy sitting from an area five to 15 yards over the ball and it could be a linebacker it could be a, a db coming from somewhere and then a guy in the middle of the field the most classic case that i can think of is i'm covering the slot receiver i'm playing outside because i have inside help short and deep that guy runs a shallow route screaming across the formation not in a motion but post snap I pass him off to the guy that's free and sitting over the ball and then i become that guy over the ball so I have two, I have number two receiver counting outside in unless X happens, then I do Y. I think that's the best way to do it on certain coverages. Now there's certain coverages you can't do that versus, but I, I love in the NFL coverage wise. I love Fangio. I like Zimmer, but I like Fangio more because there's more of a, there's more going on there than Zimmer. Um, that's what I prefer. But what drives me insane is these guys at spot drop and in his zone coverage, it's, it's all this time. They're going to front and back in side to side. You, they're going to put somebody in front of you and somebody behind you. And they're going to put somebody on one side and the other side. And it's a simple game. Again, made complicated by coaches. If I play a, they throw to B. If I jump the short route, they throw the route behind me. If I go deep, they throw short. And at some point, if I can't cover this guy, man to man, and I'm playing match coverage where I'm really covering him man to man. So as much as I'm talking about how great zone match coverage is, let's go back to that Landon Collins example I gave match cover three. So I'm kind of shitting on my own argument. Okay. Fuck it. Let's just zone drop it and see if we can steal some picks. Cause that's one good thing about zone coverage. I'm stealing at the guy that's going to throw the ball. However, now my argument kicks in. How many times are you playing Devante Adams? If you're in the NFC, if you're in the AFC South once every four years, there's not many Devontae Adams. How many slot receivers are that good? 
I, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not a, I'm going to be very clear. I'm like, Mr. Stay in your lane. Like, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not, I think the not thing a that's different I now. Know. <laughs> what's different now is everyone is a slot guy. Cause they're all playing condensed and they're all moving right. to the slot and Cooper cup plays half the time outside and half the time inside. And they've all flip-flopped it. So they put but that doesn't stress out zone coverages. That's mm-hmm. why I think that shit's stupid because like if it, it stresses out three deep coverages, because it makes you basically cover three, you're stuck in levels. And if good cover three teams can get guys on different levels, they can break apart, like who takes the over route and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But if you're playing cover two, so cover two, the job of the corner is to funnel the, from the most basic level. The corner's job in, in cover two is 500 in zone, two deep safeties. The corner's job is force them inside. The overhang job, the nickel on the backer, his job is to force two outside. So the safety that's covering over the top has smaller area to cover. Well, you just lined up standing next to each other. Well, what the fuck? So as long as you can handle three fast, which not everybody can, so they leak three out, as long as you can adjust to that, and those guys can't spread apart. So go ahead and get in stacks. That's why I think that I think all that stack shit, if you know how to play defense, is dumb for an offense to do. And it's why, if you notice, they only do it versus certain teams. Because if you do that shit versus a team that knows what they're doing, like, go watch Alabama play that shit. They kill it. Because here's the problem when you get in all that crap, especially if you're under center. Well, I guess if you're under center, it doesn't matter because you have to turn your back anyway. But if you're in the gun, what's the what was the advantage of the spread offense when it first came out? The defense can't blitz as much, right? Because I can see where it's all coming from. Yep. Well, now you've just taken that and threw it in the garbage. So yeah. now you've lined everybody up in here, and now I can come from anywhere. Yeah, you're and I've used the nickel to fly off the end, right? You're, the first time Georgia in the national championship game in 2017 was the 2018 championship 2017 season. First time they got in compressed formations, bam, about both corners. And why? Because in 2009, when Cheney was at Tennessee, they did the same shit with the same result, and they sacked the quarterback. And he couldn't ID it because the corners were pressed. Fromm's looking around and ball snapped. And now you have two, two, two fastest guys on the team about six yards from the ball coming. And, and do you think the corners are accounted for in pass protection? The answer is no. So now you have two guys that are not normally accounted for in pass protection coming off the edge with no distance. And I can't see where it's coming from. And they're super fast because those are our small guys. They are super fast. Not a winning business model, as I say. So that's why I laugh at that shit. Now, if I'm running the Seattle stuff and I'm on offense, I'm playing, I'm doing that stuff. Or I'm playing a team that shit, that's a man only team. That's why, like, I, you watch the, the uh, Raiders. Was the Raiders and the Ravens? Was it the Raiders that were doing it to the Ravens? On Monday Did they night? play on Monday night a couple weeks yeah. ago, or am I hallucinating? No, that's right, yeah. And the Ravens weren't all that mad, didn't they? The Ravens, the Raiders beat them, didn't they? No, I, I see. This is this is where I get in the weeds when I start talking about this game. I are not getting the weeds, but when I get in trouble. Uh, anyway, somebody was playing the Ravens on a Monday night game. M- Might have been the Rams. I don't know. Please, I, people are probably yelling at the the their phone right now but anyway somebody got against the ravens and gotten all these compressed formations and we're just throwing man it was it, no the ravens the ravens won the other night right yes they played the monday colts night. this monday they played the raiders the first week of the season maybe right? it was no no so it was the colts it was the okay. colt i think they got into a bunch of compression didn't they get a guy wide ass open on a play and they're running into each other because the ravens are not a great zone team in my estimation again Please don't tweet at me. Well, actually, I looked at the analytics. I don't care. But uh, traditionally, they play a shitload of man. 
Now that's when you want to compress. If you're running crazy ass horizontal stretch or vertical stretch zones, cover three, now you want to get compressed. But Fangio and Belichick prove that you just get in your quarters and you put enough guys up at the line and you take the doubles off in outside zone and duo, you can kick the shit out of that stuff. Look at the Browns versus the Vikings. They tried to get in all that compressed stuff and run duo and outside zone, and they got in that tilt front, the 6-1 stuff, made, did a whole YouTube thing on it. Shameless plug again. I think it's number four. And you can't get the double teams you want, and you have these safeties that are staring at the tight ends that are struggling to block. I mean, you got a D-end on you, and you can't get any help. There's not much you can do in, words, in, in terms of faking. Like, oh, I'm going to pretend like I'm blocking this guy, but I'm really going to do this. That guy's going to be in the backfield, and you're going to be you're going to get your ass chewed out. And you're standing on the sideline. There is some lovely uh, if you go through the Niners Cardinals game when the Niners try to do the hesitation blocks on JJ Watt, and he's just like, okay, cheers, thank you. Yeah, um, that's smart. Yeah. Um, so I was going to do some taking away the post stuff with Kirby. I was going to do some drop eight coverage stuff. What I think we'll do is we'll save some of that stuff for another time. And I'll ask mm-hmm. you one final thing before I let you go. Cause I've taken up so much of the Perfect. time already. Um, I wanted to ask quickly about some of your favorite college guys. Um, and again, the college, the NFL stuff. One thing is how much of it is the college is still doing um, into the boundary type stuff there's so much formation into the boundary in the college level the hash marks are so different it, it redefines how you would set the strength of your formation some set by field boundary some still set by formation some will change that up depending on what they're seeing in the nfl it's as you've mentioned before it's just a different you're living in a different world so there's some things you can do some things you can't do some things that look more exotic i find this a lot with scheme writers by the way this is my own run that we have way more access to college coaches um, in terms of they put stuff online because part of their business model is selling stuff to high school coaches. So it comes online, right? So we see it. And then when you see it either on a Saturday or Sunday, you're like, cool, I've seen that. I've heard an hour long talk about that. That's good stuff. That must be good. I've, whereas Vic Fangio does not get up and talk to you. And, and the thing, well, and, it's recruiting too. A lot of those guys don't yeah. even sell it. It's, it's a matter of they went connect through recruiting. Or they're so, contractually obligated. Kirby Smart didn't do that presentation. On the <laughs> he has the thing with Nike, and they're contractually yeah. obligated to speak. And so they're also they're facing different challenges, right? So we all have the mint from, but that's because everyone's attacking the B gap. Whereas in the NFL, I went through the numbers today. The Patriots still design sixty percent of their run plays into the A gap. So it's old school. We're gonna thump you in the face. You know, it's just a different, completely different situation to what those guys, what Aranda's facing there in the Big Twelve. Um, I say all that to say, what is your favorite stuff that can transfer and who are the guys? I know you love Pete Golding and all the Hello Paul okay. people uh, trying to get Pete Golding went out of Alabama, which is bizarre. If Saban Cherry picks you from UTS, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do not, they're out on, on Golding in Alabama. I know it's, it's, it's crazy. First of all, let me tell you who the defensive coordinator is at Alabama. It's Nick Saban. <laughs> okay. That's the, that's the number one thing. He, the, all the coverage is. Uh, I, that's a whole other thing for the whole day. But Nick Saban is the architect of all mm-hmm. that stuff. So, um, Aranda, Golding, Leonard, take your pick. Who is the one guy you would love to see? Is there a guy there who you think, because I just don't get how all these young Sean McVay guys are getting all the jobs in the league because they'd be like, sniff Sean McVay. And it's like, I see these guys in, in college, these defensive coordinators who are now head coaches, some of them. And it's like, these guys are... This is the next thing, I think, is to go and get one of these guys who has completely reshaped his model to defend the spread. If you look at Leonard, he has to adjust week to week because of the Big Ten, it's all weird stuff every different week. You might have some big guys, you might have some spread out guys. These, to me, this is the next generation of people that everyone should be kind of 
keying it on. Well, you named some of them already, but like, ju- <laughs> here's the first thing. And I know that I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to really say anything out of turn. I mean, he's, he said it publicly. I just had to Google that he, he said it publicly because we had private <laughs> conversations about it. And I won't tell you the nature of what we said in those conversations, but you know, Jim's become a friend of mine. I went and visited him in Wisconsin this offseason. He turned down the Packers. Some of it is a pay cut. Like if I'm a position coach, if I'm a coordinator in the SEC, going to be in a position coach in the NFL, it's a pay cut. Especially if you're at some of the places you mentioned, maybe not Baylor, but Georgia, Alabama. Um, a lot of it is familiarity. A familiarity can, can never the damnedest time saying that word. Um, you know, everybody just has those words that they struggle with. Um, that's one of them, but, uh, you know, you want to hire your own guys, you know, but the other part of the problem is in the NFL, a lot of times guys, they, they, they have the opposite. A lot of people think that, and I know I just said that, but you know, you want to hire guys, you know, but if you're a young guy, you know, Matt Nagy came from the chiefs, right? Younger guy. Well, you're not allowed to poach guys from the staff you were just on. So who's he going to hire? He hasn't worked with a whole lot of people in the NFL. So who are you going to get? The second thing is like Leonard, Leonard turned down the Packers. He was offered that job. He said, no, and everybody thought he was insane. Uh, I was super happy because we had done something on Patreon. Fifth plug. I'm not, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say here and plug in the middle, but we did a thing together and it was like the week before. And I didn't know when this was happening. I think he interviewed the next day. Straight face was just didn't say anything about it, which of course he wouldn't. Why would he tell me? But like, I mean, all these guys in college make a lot of money and they have more job security in college than in the pros. And yeah, if you go to the league, it's much easier to go back into college. But I mean, why would Pete Golding go take a job at, I mean, he's going to be good every year. It's like, are you going to lose zero games, one game or two games? I mean, when's the last time that Bama lost three games like regular season? Bowl games, I, I don't think of bowl games counting for anything unless it's the playoffs, just personally. I, I There's so many things going in with that. You know, Nick Saban's more worried about recruiting than he is winning the fucking non, non-championship Rose Bowl or whatever the hell he's in. The guy that I'd love to see get a shot, but I don't know if he would because of his age and just he's been at lower levels for so long as Ron Roberts. Uh, he's a friend of mine, so you know, want to be upfront about that. Like, I'm not a journalist, but I'm always like, I, I try to. I don't want to be weird, like, um, shilling for guys that I'm friends with without you know giving that caveat. But I, I really believe there's a lot of guys I'm friends with that I wouldn't say should get an NFL job. Let me just say that. <laughs> but like, uh, I, I don't. I definitely am not gonna say any names there. But like, I think what Ron does is fantastic, and you know you mentioned two guys that he mentored which mm-hmm. is dave aranda and pete golding patrick tony was one of his mentors who's at ul he did a fantastic job the other night against app state ron's probably the one i mean again like was dave gonna go be an nfl coordinator he's gonna leave baylor as the head coach and be an nfl coordinator i mean no but let's say it doesn't work out from a baylor which it's it's going to i mean they're on the right track Couldn't now he just jumped straight to a head job though I, you know that that's yeah, but I, if you're talking right. So, so I'm thinking more of strictly defensive coordinators. I, I don't know if Dave would. I, I think he'd be a good NFL head coach, but I, I also that's not my specialty. 
Um, but I'm thinking more like coordinators. Yeah. Yes, he, yeah. he'd be a great, I think he would be a good from what I know. I mean, I'd love to see a Dave Aranda go be in the NFL and bring Ron and bring me, <clears throat> uh, Ron, please, you know how to find me. Number 407. No, no I'm just kidding. I shot my phone number out just in case he's listening and somehow lost it when he gets big time. But no, um, you know, I'd love to see that. I mean, I don't know. I love that. I love the gyms at the Badgers because I can go hang out with them. I don't know if he was the DC of Green Bay that I could go roll up there like I did this summer. Um, a lot, and a lot of the guys, I don't want him to leave because I I love watching him in college. Like Dan Lanning, I don't want him to go anywhere. He's creating like a juggernaut at Georgia. Um, but let's say for some reason, let's say for some reason, Kirby, something happened at Georgia and like somebody took over the boosters and had just a personal beef with Kirby Smart and like fired him, even though they won a national championship. Like I'd love to see a guy like that get in the league with his staff around him. Because I've said for many years that if somebody took Nick Saban's scheme and brought it in the NFL, they would destroy everyone. To all, a lot of this stuff. And again, a lot of it comes down to jibbies and jokes, but I'm talking about if it's within the margins. Now, if they're just better than you, okay, fine. Like not many people are, are beating a Tom Brady team because of their, they're better than the Bucks. You know, they have an off day, but I'm talking about like not many people are outsmarting him. There's not much he hadn't seen, but like, you know, if, if those talent was, is within the margins, like I would love to see, like, it, I, it's one of the questions I ask all my college buddies is does, do NFL teams call you in the off season? Like if I was in the NFL and I had to play Lamar Jackson, I would be calling every NCAA coach I could find and figure out how I can take some stress off the second level to avoid putting them like talking about conflict, some of the odd mirror stuff. And some have started. I know I just said that they do, but I'm thinking about it now. Like what's funny about that is the Ravens are the guys on both sides. Well, who do call everyone. They have no compunction. There is no pretension in Baltimore. They, they decided as an organization, we're going with this guy when the league was like, yeah, we, we, we still think we're five years behind doing all that. And they're like, Whatever we're doing, we're picking up the phone to whoever can help us. We do not give a shit. The goal is to win a Lombardi. Who can help us do that? Well, I know that. And without divulging too much, I'm sorry, but like I know firsthand that uh, that took place. You can mm -hmm. connect the dots there to people I've talked about before, but um, like they, that happens. But like I ask, there, there's teams that I've seen have zero clue how to how to defend this stuff, and. Like if I had to go defend Lamar Jackson, let's let's say I got an NFL coordinator job tomorrow. Don't laugh, audience. Don't laugh too hard. Okay. But if I had to, I wouldn't call anybody in the NFL. No, I would. I would call Dean Peace because I thought they did a really good job. And again, I I'm not watching every Ravens game. I haven't watched every team. But I'm saying if I didn't know any better, I'm not calling, I'm calling Dave, who defended him in college when he was at Louisville and Dave was at LSU. I'm calling, you know, maybe Dean Pease. Cause I, like I said, I know they did a good job. You know, I would call not that they would take my calls, but Nick Saban, like those are the guys that would call. And before you get to all, I can't believe you mentioned Nick Saban. They got their ass kicked last week. I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about how a defense is constructed. Even Jeremy Pruitt's Tennessee volunteers. And I know he got fired and I know that people didn't like him, whatever. Tennessee's scheme was better than most NFL teams' scheme, and it didn't work out for them. But I'm just talking about from an objective point of view and how you build a defense. And I know there's people that listen might say, "Well, how would you? How can you say that they 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 all got fired and they were not very good?" 
I'm telling you, if you're building a structure, they have a damn good one. And I guarantee you, I don't know this for certain, but I guarantee you that when Brandon Staley hired Derek Ansley, who was the defensive coordinator at Tennessee and is an old buddy of mine back from when he was a GA at Alabama, I guarantee you when they talked about how to defend some of the fly sweep stuff that they're seeing, they said, hey, Derek, help us out here. Because he saw that shit back when he was at Huntington College Division Three school that Millsaps used to play, you know, when I was, when I was there, I mean, I, I wouldn't ask, you know, I'm not calling now Pete's different because Pete was in, in college, but like some of these guys have only been in the NFL. I'm not calling them to talk about the RPOs. How to defend RPOs. It's another thing oh. I admire about Belichick going back to that, that book that I did not write earlier. I remember at the time. You're, you're, I'm plugging shit. You're plugging shit. You didn't the plugging shit that never, that never. I mean, at some point, I'll, I'll re, that will get done. I was too young to write a book. To that. I was too young to write the book at that time. Uh, got way in, way in over my head. One of the things, um, one of the guys, the top, top, one of the top, top guys on that staff said to me at the time was, Bill is obsessive with having people in the building from the generations. You go through the, the setup throughout that dynastic run. Every time there's a really young guy you don't know about who looks like a wonderkin. There's some really old guys who've be, seen everything. They want to be able to go in their own building and say, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're seeing this, we're seeing that. If you've got any history with that, it's not about him. It's about Ernie Adams being able to pull up some weird game from Toledo in 1976 and say, oh, yeah, yeah I saw them take that away. Like you, you, you have to do. By the way, that shit is not. That is not over. That that is not a fallacy about that stuff. So, in my small example, I just had a coach hit me up about they're playing the flex bone option, the Paul Johnson stuff. And I'm a. When we're done with this conversation, I'm going to text him back, and I'm going to talk to him about a game that Temple played in Navy in 2001. (laughs) You find the stuff that worked whenever it worked. And, and 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 Nick Rapone, who's now the secondary coach at the uh, Bucks, who I did a podcast with right before I got COVID, and so it's going to end up coming out next year because it didn't make sense to talk about like developing the complete defensive back when you're like three weeks <laughs> into the season. That's definitely an off-season podcast. But he cooked up a plan when they were when Temple was Temple when they were not good, mm-hmm. and they held Navy to like seventy-six yards of rushing and the average three hundred. And and him and Raymond LaMonica who's at Southeast Louisiana as the linebackers coach, a, a position that was once held like six years ago by Ron Roberts, small world. Let's talk about that Southeast Louisiana staff for a second, derail. Southeast Louisiana in like 2015, 14. Here, here's an example of a guy. Ron Roberts was the head coach of Southeast Louisiana. His defensive coordinator was Pete Golding. His secondary coach was Carl Scott who was with the with the uh, Crimson Tide as well, now at the Vikings, who are now running mint. I guarantee you that Carl installed that, the tight front. And they had a GA by the name of Patrick Tony, who's the defensive coordinator at UL. How about that staff? He was the head coach. They were good. And he's like, I'm out. And he went and was the, became the defensive coordinator at uh, UL, uh, not ULL. They go by U- University of Louisiana now. They're no longer ULL, uh, branding-wise. Um. But he's like, you know what? I want to be a division one coordinator. I've always wanted to do this. I've been a D2 head coach. I've been a one double A head coach. Not interested anymore. He went, they were actually doing pretty well. Don Brown did the same thing. He was head coach at UMass. I was like, I want to go be a coordinator at a higher level. That's what I would do. That's something I would do. 
I would have, that would have been my deal. I was, I would have gone and been a head coach with the sole goal of becoming a position coach at a higher level because I didn't want to go be a gopher at the higher level and to work my way up. That's like the ultimate coach vast move. And I'm sorry, I was referred to myself in the third person that did make sense there, but Dom Brown Brown not being up in the league. I know at Michigan, they decided they're going to go separate ways. They wanted the whole staff to get younger. It wasn't really Harbaugh's call. Someone not bringing him in to be like just even one of those advisory roles you get, like where Brett Bielema goes for two years just to advise on center play uh, for two years. That's not his thing, man. That's not – Don Brown belongs in college football. You know, Don Brown was the head baseball coach at UMass at the same time that he was the head football coach. Was he really? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It wasn't UMass. It was another school. He was the football coach and he coached baseball, and they were really good. Is that one of those get extra cash in the pocket, but we don't have – I don't even think – I think this was back back at a time, like, when it wasn't even that lucrative to be a head baseball coach. I I talk – I feel bad. I feel like a shitty podcast host because I talked to him about it on my podcast. It was, I think you want to say it was UMass. Maybe it was wow. UMass. Yeah, he was the baseball, and they were good. They were, the, I think he did for one year, and they were really good. <laughs> anyway, going back to your original, original question, like, I just, a lot of those guys, like, I don't want to see Don Brown in the pros. Like, Don Brown, not because he can't do it, but because he has an effect on so many people at that level, a profound effect that he wouldn't have at the pro level. Those guys are not. I've I know some of the pro guys. I've worked with some guys that have gone to the pros, and they're it's business and it's business, and this is a business and this is a corporation. And there are some that are very emotional, and there are some that are you know hooping and hollering guys. But Don Brown is at the place he should be at at the college level, and affecting people's lives. And I don't think the pros would appreciate his energy. There's a mental thing too outside big picture where guys at the pro level, I know Brandon Staley's getting a lot of love now. We usually anoint one at a time and they have their, their run. And then we turn down. But most yeah. of them just get shit on because it's a quarterback league. It's a points league. And all that's ever happening is discussing how bad they are. This it's, it's, you don't. How often have you listened to an NFL podcast where it's eight segments about how good the DC is? No, but that's why I'm doing that YouTube show. Everybody was like, why don't you talk about the Chiefs? Because I don't want to shit on coaches. Like, I was a coach. I think it's also different because I'm like, it's like the scene of Wolf on Wall Street. One of them. One of, or was it one of us? One of of us. Yeah, Yeah, I'm an idiot. I've started chanting it wrong. Damn it. I mean, I I wasn't an NFL coach, but I was still a football coach. And so I'm very protective. Like I'll, it's like it's like the thing about your brother. Like I'll shit on them, but if somebody else shits on them, like, hey, watch it, buddy. You know. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a thankless job. And then it's even like everybody was kissing Phil Snow's ass after the first three weeks, and I'm like, everybody slow down. He played two really bad football teams, and then he played one really good one and got his ass kicked. And they played the Cowboys the fourth yeah. week and just got eviscerated and. It's it. The rules are set up. My buddy Kyle Kogan, who I've done a bunch of stuff with, he always talks about it. He goes, "If the league, if the game is set in the league, especially, is set up to score points. And when they don't, then people like Bill Prolian, who goes and cries to the league, and they change the rules. The Patriots played cover two. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but the the Patriots put Rodney Harrison and you was it Eugene Wilson was the other safety, and they put him at corner, 
and then put Ty Law and I don't know if Asante was there yet as the other safety, moved them to safety, and they played cover two. And just absolutely manhandled the receiver. And then what did they do the next year? They changed the fucking rules. And they still mold them, by the way. One of the, one of the brilliant Belgic things is it's the classic Seahawks thing. It's like, let's just do it every time. Well, if they call it four times, we'll change. We'll change midstream. Yeah. Um, all right, Vass, I'm going to let you go because we've been doing this for ages and I could do another five hours with you. Um, now we can get all the official plugs in. We've had all the on-the-go plugs. Now it's time for the official so plugage. I don't want to be that guy that was not... That is not why I, I wanted to you know, talk about that stuff or reference that stuff. There's just a lot of stuff, like you said, to talk about, and I've talked about it at length in other places. I'll, say, I'll give one link. Mm-hmm. Okay. Linktree.com slash Coach Vass. I have a podcast that uh, Ollie talked about called Make Defense Great Again. I did an offensive one begrudgingly called Run Vass Option, which lasted – I'll still run it, but it, I think there were like nine or 10 episodes, but for NFL fans, I did interview my buddy, Mike Kafka, who's the quarterback's coach at the chiefs. That was a lot of fun to do. I have a YouTube channel. I'm doing a thing Tuesday night football um, where I'm, I'm picking a game and it's kind of crazy because I picked the game on Sunday night. So I did, I, I did it this past week. I picked it Sunday night. I broke it down because I don't get the film till Monday. And then I'm busy during the day. So it's like, really I have one day to plan. And then I, Hit, hit up two writers hit me up so i just put out like a casting call it who wants to come be with me uh who wants to come on with me tonight and talk i never talked to either of these guys they jumped on there was like no preparation like we're just gonna talk you guys fill in i'm gonna talk scheme you talk about the players whatever happens happens we roll the ball out and it's a ton of fun and i get really deep into the weeds if you don't really like scheme and you just want to talk about players it is not that i'm gonna tell you very clearly up front it's not what it's about it's about teaching the game hopefully in an entertaining way. We do have some of the fan stuff in it. That's why I do bring those guys on to kind of do color commentary, so to speak. The first week I did it with Casey Joyner, who's just an, a national writer and, and like the original fantasy football guru, literally was like the first guy writing about it. And he was awesome. He had this like stats website and he's like, the EPA on this play was this. And this guy is, <laughs> it was, I was blown. I was like, That's really? Amazing. Like, it was so much fun. I, I kind of want to have a writer from each team, but I don't want to make it an official thing because, like, I'm not getting paid or something I just do for fun. So I don't want to be like, make this guy have to be on there every Tuesday night with me and not be able to pay him. It's just completely insane. And then we just, like, we just, I pick like a bunch of plays and I literally mean a bunch of plays. I pick 29 out of the 70 plays in the game. Um, I have uh, a website you can check out that has all my podcasts, all that stuff. But basically, if you go to linktree.com, I won't plug all my coaching stuff because I'm a lot of it is very, like how to defend the wing T. I don't know how many people are listening to this podcast are going to be like, oh yes, I'm also a defensive coordinator at the high school level and I have to play the wing T this week. But all my links, if you go to linktree.com slash coach fast, it's all there. I also have some buddies stuff that I just love that's on there too. You can check out, you can see it all there. And then the most important thing I will, I said, I do one, I'll do two. Find me on Twitter at Coach Vass. It's uh, V-A-S-S, two S's. And then follow me on the at MDGA podcast one. I love talking football. So if you have any questions, like there's a guy who started asking me questions on the YouTube comment section on one of my videos. And we had, we went back and forth like six times. Like if there's anything that you want to know or you're curious or you want to get into learning this stuff or you have random questions, like I do this 
and and it's you know my job really is helping high school coaches but like this has become part of it and 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 i want to thank you like it's guys like you that have opened up a door to a new audience for me when i started doing this podcast when i was just a high school football coach that was approached by usa football to do some work with them i i didn't know this whole generation of journalists existed and i was used to like the idiots <laughs> i say this i gotta be careful because i have some friends that work there so i'm gonna be very specific like i remember it's no secret. Let me back up. It's no secret that most coaches don't like talking about football with fans. And if a lot of it is because when most of us were learning the game, the journalism out there on it was either like fantasy driven or it was like player personality driven. There wasn't a lot of scheme stuff. Like when I was coming up and learning, there was one scheme and it or scheme place and it was smart football, the blog. And so it was garbage in garbage out. You know, I, I I didn't realize that this whole world existed. And so I was like, I went to help the fans become more knowledgeable because I knew when I was just a fan, and I don't mean to say that in any kind of disparaging way, but when I was just watching football for fun, I wasn't watching football to go tell somebody else how to do it. I wanted more and it wasn't out there. So I was like, I want to raise the discourse. And so there was this intersection of like me and then guys like you. I mean, I, I hate naming people because I always leave somebody out and then it's like an asshole. But Michael Kiss, Mark Schofield, Ted Nguyen, um, you, I think I've already said, but I want to make sure I definitely include you. Seth and Deontay. <laughs> you know, Seth and Deontay. Me. Yeah, but Deontay, Deontay's a coach and so yeah. is Seth. So I kind of leave them out. Okay. Not as well, and Mark played, but not as a way to be exclusionary. But I was talking about like the journalists okay, that were yeah. talking about a scheme that weren't also coaches at one time. Like Deontay is still a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth, I don't believe coaches anymore, but, but yes, those guys are fantastic. Um, but people even like Mina, even at the big skates, Mina Kimes, you know, those kind of people were talking about the stuff and I didn't realize it. And so I was like, I want to, I want to make that discussion richer. And so I've kind of offered my Charles McDonald's another one. I've, I've offered myself up Ben Solak. I've offered myself up as like a guy that you can come to with any questions to try to help people out because I do, like you said earlier, I, I, we do have access to people that are much more likely to talk to coaches than they are journalists. In fact, some of them, it's not even them. It's they're forbidden to talk to journalists. I remember I went to a school that will remain nameless that the coach said to me, Hey, don't, don't mention you have a podcast. Like it just had started. I was like, well, I wasn't going to, but just out of curiosity, why? And was like, because you're going to be considered a media person. They're going to kick you out and not let you insert meetings even though they knew I wasn't going to talk about this stuff. I still don't talk about the stuff from three years ago, but you know, that was something that is, they were programmed not to talk to guys like you. And it's not, it, they can't, they literally can't if they want to keep their job. So, but, but you guys are trying to advance the game. And I, I just appreciate that you guys have the platform that you do and you have decided to push the game forward instead of going for the lowest common denominator, going for the low hanging fruit you know, explaining concepts, um, you know, pushing the audience more rather than being like, well, cause I heard a lot of, well, they're not going to care. Well, then I don't want them to listen. Well, 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 wait a minute. You know, which I know, you know, when your own boss, it's a little different than, you know, if you were to go into your boss, like, Hey, I want to write this article. That's going to alienate half of the audience. They would be like, no, you're not writing that. <laughs> like, and they shouldn't, they, they, they shouldn't 
be okay with that. That's like the whole thing about having a business. <laughs> you want people to read and listen and click. So, but I, I want to thank you guys for, for doing this. And um, it's really raised the discourse. And the thing that I've seen was where it kind of all came to, or not really all came to a head. This is the wrong way to say it. But like the greatest example was like in the national championship game. Uh, Alabama, Ohio State, the play with Devontae Smith, and they scored the touchdown on the over route versus Kevin Three. And one of my coaching buddies called me and he was like, Hey, I saw that conversation online. And, you know, that's a good conversation. But the one you should be having is why Ohio State's playing base defense so they can only do certain coverages and they can't fix the problem. And I said, You know, I, I respect that you're saying that. But the fact that so many people could recognize that that player was responsible for that touchdown in that coverage put a smile on my face because three, four years ago, that wasn't happening. Not when I, we're not where I was looking maybe I was just looking at the wrong place, but I think Twitter, Twitter gets such a bad rap and rightfully so for a lot of things, but I know in the coach world, I know it's still kind of toxic sometimes in the football world, but if you want to learn football, if you want to get in a scheme, Twitter, football, coaching, Twitter, whatever the hell you want to call it, there's a lot of really, really good dudes that are on there sharing information and teaching the game with nothing to really gain out of it and being very selfless. So come join the conversation. So that's my, the big plug. I want everybody to join in. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the thing I encourage everyone to go and listen. You said there's only eight or nine episodes, right? Of the, the offensive podcast. Uh, people should go to that. Please go listen to, I told you this before. Is it possible to hate your own podcast? Like I, I told somebody, they said, are you going to do in-season podcasts? Or they're like, oh, it must be hard to pick between you two podcasts. If I was forced, I would drown run vast option in a bathtub. <laughs> and they thought I was kidding, but then I never released anything. And they're like, oh, you were serious. I, I told right. you this before. I listened to the Coastal Carolina episode like eight times. I watch Coastal Carolina. That's like my new uh, prestige TV. I get there all 22. I get a pizza. My, my Rachel will come in and go, are you watching Coastal Carolina again? I'm like, this is my favorite thing to do on a Tuesday night is to watch Coastal Carolina. So what what you've what what I want people to take away. And I, I say I think if they can do the visual stuff, following those live things you do, I think is gonna be amazing for people. Those three hours, you know, binge it or dip in, dip out, watch it throughout the week, a half hour, you know, a night throughout the week or whatever. Watch what everyone is doing. So much of the NFL stuff, if you're in it for the NFL, is global. As we mentioned through this, a lot of people are running a lot of the same stuff. You know, Bass will pick out the most, the coolest, most creative people he wants to be positive about this stuff. A lot of the same stuff is happening. So watch the Bears and you'll find five things, six, seven, eight things your team is doing on a Sunday. You'll be able to key it in the moment and it will just, it just raise it. It's not about being snarky or being the most intelligent or being the best. It's about raising the fun level. It's more fun when you understand stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I try to, you know, a lot of people will, applaud me oh you know so much about this stuff you know so much about this stuff. i'm like first of all if, if the amount of time i put into this if i didn't have like you know they say like the ten thousand hours i've like seventy thousand hours at the detriment of everything else in my life like my football knowledge and like library like you know, my physical like library is immaculate the rest of my life is a complete disaster like if i didn't have some level of knowledge by this point like go do something else but also like that I also tell you the, the things that I say the most is I don't know. Like, I will be honest with you. If you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I don't know. Like, I, and, and, but I'll tell you where to find it. Like, you, and I, I've talked about this elsewhere, but like, if you want to learn about pass rush, I'm not the guy to talk to. Now I can coach pass rush. I can teach it. 
I mean, we had two first year D line coaches and one championships. So obviously I know enough, but like, I'm not, that's not my expertise. Craig Rose, the guy you want to follow now coverage. I'm, I would say I'm pretty good at like, that's kind of my thing. So kind of what I'm known for. I, I, I have the mantle and, and the joy is the fat. I will no, I'm actually no longer have this title because I'm not an active coach, but I was the fattest DB coach in America, probably in the world for a while. So that's a title I wear with pride. Some of your UK listeners are like gross fucking Americans. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, like there's so many good voices and so many areas of expertise. And the cool thing about football is even though Bill Belichick, Ernie Adams, two of the guys that like, if you had to have a football trivia contest, you'd want on your side. They still probably don't know half of what there is to really learn. And they never will. They never will because it's just so that's what makes it so fun is it's so crazy that a game with a defined field of 120 yards long, 53 and a third yards wide with 11 people on each side can have so much. I mean, it's so fixed, but yet so open to interpretation. It's, it's a, it's a great game and there's a lot of fun. So come join me. If, if you're an NFL guy or gal, and I, I love working. One of my favorite things I told you this first time we talked, like I love working. I know this is more of an American thing, but if you're from the UK, if you're from elsewhere in the world, like women, people from Brazil, people from all over the world, like let's get those finished teams. Come on. Come on. I want to see some of this murder ball finished (laughs) stuff. Like I have such a, um, I have such a soft spot for people that just want to start out. Like, don't feel intimidated. Ask a question. What, why are you calling that guy that? What, what does that mean? What does that line mean? Like, no question is too simple. Come join it, dip your toe in the water. And if you're like, okay, I can kind of follow this, or at least this is interesting. Then check out the podcast because the podcast is deep in the weeds and there's no visual element. So for beginners, it's a little tough. Like my family at first was like, oh, you have a podcast. I can't wait to listen to Mike. Please don't bother because it's made for coaches. And I want to make this very clear. It's not, it's not something that's like snotty. Like there's no snobbery or anything. It's literally made for people that have a, a certain level of knowledge to that are teaching the game. So I don't want anybody to think that like, it's any level of, like you said, there's no snobbery. There's no, it's just like, it's fun. And we make stupid jokes and have a good time. So come hang out Tuesday nights, 8 PM. And, and I chapped everything out. I'm not one of these people. I don't care. You want to watch just 20 minutes of it or five minutes of it. There's a concept you want to watch. It's all labeled. You can click through. And I, and if there's something we talk about, I try to link it to something else if it interests you. So go check it out. All right. At Coach Vass on Twitter, linktree.com slash Coach Vass. Click on that. That brings up links to every single thing imaginable in the world related to Coach Vass, at least in a football concept. Um, all right. That'll do it. Only fans is not on there. Only fans, unfortunately. Yeah, For now. He got off once they announced they were taking away the the pornographic section. He said there was no money in this anymore. I'm out of here. All right, this has been a blast. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, buddy.